Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 49. Today's episode is dedicated to the 2019 Cinegear Show from Los Angeles, California. You'll hear interviews from the fine folks at Aperture, Zacuto, Quasar Science, and Hive Lighting. Plus, we also talk about a bunch of new products that are either available now or they're on their way soon. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Well, welcome everyone to Tech Move. This is episode 49. It is Rod Louie and the great Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Fan, fan, fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I, I, first of all, I, I want to uh, uh, apologize to our listening audience in case you start hearing some uh, extraneous noises uh, uh, here on our recording, uh, because here in our beautiful downtown studios, uh, we're having some work done, uh, on the studios. And so there might be some talking of, uh, 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 some people, you know, just kind of around and some drilling, hammering, nailing, overall concrete pouring and scaffolding. Uh, those types of things might interfere with this uh, intro here. Uh, so, Keith, I want to apologize to you for uh, not being able to schedule uh, our construction, our expansion construction work uh, a little bit uh, around our recordings. It just has to be done today. No, that's okay. That's okay. We we try to record when we can and under all conditions. You right. Know, that's, exactly. that's how the news works. That's- yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have a perfect studio environment not all the time you you know we 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 try to and you know that's why most of the time uh keith and i usually like uh recording in uh abandoned bunkers all over uh the world uh but uh, today uh they were not available to us so uh no they weren't they were being refurbished as well yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) they were having draped Drapery, drapery, uh, and and also the I I think they were sweeping out the radiation uh, particles <laughs> out of it. So very good. Uh, well, hey, let, <laughs> let, 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 let's get on with episode forty nine. This is going to be a very yes. exciting episode here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Uh, it's exciting for a couple of reasons. Number one, because uh, this is probably what could be our third episode of the year thus far number one that's an achievement in itself and uh number two we're going to be covering cinegear 2019 now the bad news on that is that cinegear 2019 occurred i think back in february of this year (laughs) and we're now in september but nonetheless everything that we record is always relevant all year round yes yes would you agree with that Yes, and we still are going to have more episodes than Marvel came out with movies this year. So <laughs> I, think, I think we're good. And that's hard to believe because they churn they they, they churn them out like Xerox paper. So um, yeah, that's people hard. are going cold turkey right now. Yeah, 
No, that's good. For Mar- for Marvel, not for us. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or maybe for us. It could be for us, Actually, too. we do have a few people going, when's the next episode coming out? You know, and, and, and you know that's it, being in the entertainment business like we've been in for decades, Keith, <laughs> uh, th- that's what you want the audience to do, is you want them begging for more. And, that's, uh, yes. I, and I think we've achieved that. So, ladies yes. and gentlemen, uh, we'll be uh, covering uh, Cinegear 2000... Uh, and one, no, just kidding. It's actually Cinegear 2019 we'll be covering today. So, yes. you, so Keith, uh, again, uh, 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 the the show did happen a few months ago, uh, but yeah. we did we were able to secure with your, your very diligent uh, man in the street reporting as you always do. A, a, yes. a lot of great companies. We're going to be covering folks from like Quasar Science. We're going to be covering folks from Aperture, Zacuto, Hive Lighting, and many more uh, surprise guests. But really, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things uh, uh, transpired surprisingly through Cinegear. Maybe not major uh, topics like you know, new cameras or new gear, but a lot of uh, uh, things that support us in the industry, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would say so. And and um, and actually, these interviews are a little bit timeless in a way because um, at least uh, they are still relevant now because this stuff has not really changed much in the few months since I inter- we made the interviews. So um, I think they're still relevant. It, it just because it's not super cutting edge stuff necessarily, but it's stuff that you're going to be able to use for years and years and years. So it's a it's a little bit on the periphery of the usual camera gear type stuff because there just weren't any camera announcements at Center Gear to to speak of. However, um, it is so late now. We're actually recording this in September, and maybe the episode will come out in September, but at the latest October, there have been actually quite a few relevant cinematography camera announcements um this year which um when you get through the the cinegear episodes don't fast forward listen to them um but at the end of the show at the outro we're going to talk about some of the brand new developments in the fall of 2019 that's right uh we we like to call that our uh the 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 wrap-up of the show at the at the end and uh so we'll be going over some of that new stuff uh that has come out uh, since our last recording. And like Keith mentions, there's a lot of new products out there and uh, actually some fairly exciting things that are out there. So we'll cover that, but uh, we do want to give spotlight to uh, the folks that we were able to secure interview-wise uh, at Cinegear 2019. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that's come out, uh, of of course, since that show. Yes, yes. So... Um I don't know. If I think people know about Cinegear, but if they don't, Cinegear is a show that's held in LA in early June, and it's actually held in Hollywood, the quintessential Hollywood, which and is perfect. Is, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And Hollywood is Hollywood because all the a lot of the recording studios are. I mean, a lot of the film studios are in Hollywood, and um, you know, there's a number of them there. You know, three or four. I think they chose it. I don't know, there's some historical reason that Hollywood exists. I think it's because it had enough variety of backdrops and the land was cheap and there's a lot of open space for movie moguls to build whatever they wanted to and create these huge um, sets and buildings and it just kind of mushroomed. And so Not anymore. Was... Not anymore. But yeah, you're <laughs> right. You're right. Back then, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's expensive and a lot of productions are moving to places like Toronto to film or Vancouver. 
but um but still there's there's you know it is the still the center of entertainment in the world and um anyway the 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 show for the last since i've been going for four or five years is actually held in the paramount uh studios um land Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just this huge expanse of studios you know typical things there's huge kind of warehouse buildings that have treatments on the inside and they're sometimes they're just totally empty and sometimes they have scaffolding and sets and things like that and and i guess they set aside a certain number of these buildings and some of the street um outdoor locations for cinegear which is really cool because it's like being on a movie set i mean it is being on a movie set <laughs> right literally yeah is and so you're kind of walking down these streets that look like you know old the old west or chicago or new york or whatever would you say it's almost and, like uh, old Universal Studios when we were kids and we'd take that tour and stuff like that? Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. Except it's just a different brand. Sure. So, yeah. But they, you know, they were shooting stuff um, and a few things uh, there as we were there and we got to peek in a little bit. And then some of the, you know, some of the things that are kind of important to have inside, like the lighting uh, parts of the show, the lighting vendors were there. And uh, and then some of the other stuff where it didn't matter, or they just got the the cheap the cheap tables are outside because it gets really hot outside, and um, you know, it's like the height of summer sometimes um, during these shows. And uh, anyway, so so it's just kind of fun going around and and exploring it all, and and it's a little more cinematography relevant than NAB because NAB is just all kinds of stuff. It's just huge, huge, huge. But a lot of, there's probably only one tenth of it is really relevant to our to our topics but Cinegear is almost all relevant 100 percent to our topics so that part is really cool too right that, that and and that's a great thing that's why we, we 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 like covering this particular show nab is always of course like the you know the name brand one Cinegear is just one that we that really focuses on the stuff that we like to to talk about here on this show yes yes great Great, 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 great. Uh, yep. So, you, you, you know, when, when you were at the show uh, this year, you know, it, it, it's really tough, I know, to kind of wrap your head around certain things where you know that you're not looking for a big announcement. You know that there's nothing really coming. There's nothing really expected. Uh, you know, uh, as far as what you're looking for, for the content of this particular program that we produce, you know, what, what are you trying to look for? Uh, as far as an interview segment, Keith? I actually look for things that are interesting to me at the time. It's very, it's pretty personal, yep. you know, unless it's some groundbreaking thing. If I'm not particularly interested in maybe buying it or, or, or just the tech or whatever, um, and, le and there weren't too many of those things, it's just more like, hmm, this is pretty cool. I haven't, I've talked to them in the past, but they have some new stuff out, or I've never talked to them before, but I've meant to. Um, and in this case, we have a couple, a couple people we've interviewed before and a couple people we have not. And there's, there's three lighting companies. And then there's one kind of a uh, stalwart of the industry for over a decade as a kudo. And, and we have a really nice, great interview with them. The best interview I've had with them. I think I've interviewed them like two or three times. And I think this is the best. They were very relaxed. Um, it was the first time at, at Senegar I've interviewed them. I interviewed them at NAB previously um so that was a great interview and then there's a great interview with um ted sim of aperture and he's a great guy and we have an interesting relationship it's almost like we're you know longtime friends even though we have only probably met about five times yep but um so 
and then the other the other um, interviews are great as well. So I think it's most in this case it's mostly personal and what kind of appeals to me, and that that makes it more fun for me to do, and then they kind of feel my enthusiasm as well. Sure. Fantastic. So, That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, let, let's do this. Let's get to the interviews uh, right now. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, we're going to run through all our interviews. And uh, we encourage you to, to sit through them and, and, and listen to them because they are uh, quite interesting. Uh, uh, and we'll come back at the end of the show and do our own show wrap up and maybe talk about some of the new stuff that has since transpired in the world of digital cinema. Uh, Keith, does that sound okay with you? Yep. Fantastic. So let's do this. Let's take a break right now and, uh, we'll reset, uh, all the tape and stuff and we'll run the interviews and, uh, you will be listening to our coverage of Cinegear 2019 from Los Angeles, California. And uh, you will be listening to a bunch of interviews conducted by our very own Keith Moreau. I am Rod Louie, and we will be right back, right here on Tech Move. Okay, welcome back to Tech Move and our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019. And Keith has uh, managed to secure an interview uh, with a company called Quasar Science. Now, Keith, uh, my memory goes back quite a long ways. Quasar was really big in the VHS world. Uh, I'm going to say back in the (laughs) early 80s. And uh, so much so, I, I and I know that this is probably not the same company, uh, but Quasar used to put out these great VHS portable recorder slash portable tuner that you had to buy for thousands of dollars, and uh, they, they used to be fun, fun little things. You attach this; uh, it, it was the first portable VHS recording type of thing you got this like i don't know ten thousand pound camera shoulder mount camera that probably got about 280 lines of resolution and stuff like that uh but this was a a a ways ways back quasar science i'm sure has nothing to do with quasar tv and vhs products no, but let's just keep talking about the old Quasar because it's a really good promotional thing for exactly. <laughs> Quasar Science. That's right. <laughs> but and along those lines, I actually remember. I think I remember the the jingle for the original Quasar. I do was, not. I do not. It was. I think you'll remember it by saying it. It's Quasar. Oh, you're, you remember you're, that? Yes, I do. I do remember that. that that's right. The, the the background vocalist would just sing the name, right? And that was. That was pretty much it. At the end yeah. of this commercial, it'll be Quasar. <laughs> well, the folks at Quasar Science, I'm sure, are extremely happy about that. No, but you know what? So, so let it let us move on to Quasar Science, Keith. What is uh, what, what is Quasar Science? I'm not familiar with the company, so enlighten me of what uh, these fine folks have to offer. Um, they they are um, they offer these tube based LED lights. 
they 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 look a little bit like fluorescent tubes, but okay. inside of them they have a string of LEDs. I think I actually haven't opened one up and you know dismantled you it. You haven't dismantled one or anything like that. No, but they they their claim to fame is having these really um, reliable and accurate um, tube lights that have diff- of varying lengths, and then um, they've gotten more and more sophisticated over the years, and they have now RGB type lights, so you can just select any color you want. And they're getting a little more. Uh, the lights are getting a little, a little more intelligent. They can do special effects and things like that too. So they're just these great kind of utility lights that have all kinds of of uses. And um, you know, there it's actually a. I've always thought these these tube lights are a great idea because you can just use them on their own and and just illuminate uh, just kind of a a band of light in a vertical direction, which works works great for people. You know, if they're standing or just they're kind of vertically oriented. Um, and they're really portable, and they're actually pretty inexpensive for what they do. So you got all these pluses, and that's why they're getting kind of kind of popular out there. A lot of DPs are starting to use them. You'll see them just as you know, like in music videos, just kind of in a row, mounted to stands, and they just make an interesting backdrop. You know, the lights themselves glowing, or you can just use them to illuminate your subjects in lots of different ways. So are they trying to go after the market of being like a key light type of company or is it more like an effects type of light? I think it's um, a combination of things. I think it's I think it's not like, it's not necessarily your primary light, but they can be used as a primary light and they can be put into other fixtures and, and gang together to make it a key light mm-hmm. or something that's, you know, a little bit wider. Um, right now, they're they're somewhat narrow, um, so they can't really illuminate a huge wide swath of of things. But you, when you gang them together and they have all these attachments to stick them together, then they start becoming more just like a regular light, but more modular. So you know, I love these things. I ha- I've had similar things in the past, you know, these tube lights. Um, but the tube lights that I I have are a little bit on the low end side, so they're not great CRI and things like that. They're also a little flaky and not that bright. And these are just like a step above, much more professional. You can AC power them if you want. You can add adapters and controllers. And I think some of them even have like DMX controllers. So you got to have a lot. There's just a lot more professional applications. Much more versatile, it sounds as if. Yeah. You can really use it in different applications. All right. That's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we just, Veronica, I just roamed around Cinegear and there's, there's, it's, Cinegear is kind of random. But the they have indoor studios and then outdoor mm-hmm. section too. Right. So most of the lighting is indoor because it just makes more sense because it's easier to see. Outside lights aren't quite as impressive because the sun is competing. Sure. The, the lights are competing with the sun and they just can't do anything against right. the sun. Most of them. Right. Um. And so, uh, yeah. So this is just one of the indoor displays and they have a nice booth. It's surrounded by all these different types of lights. Uh. Different and they have their new things which we talked about. There's a new a new version of their light which is really sophisticated. And uh, Ben and I, Ben, who's the CTO of Quasar Science, um, talked about these lights. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I encourage uh, our listening audience to check out some of the video that Keith has uh, been able to capture uh, with regards to uh, our interviews that we're uh, having here. And uh, because you can see a little bit about this booth that Keith is talking about, it's it's quite, quite a nice setup. So, uh, Keith, let's let's talk to uh, Ben Dynas of Quasar Science uh, as he explains some of the uh, products that uh, he offers 
and uh, maybe we'll get a little bit better understanding of what quasar science uh, has. And uh, this ought to be very interesting. So here we are at Cinegear 2019 with our very own Keith Marone and Ben Dynas of Quasar Science right here on Tech Move. We're going to talk about your company, okay? Quasar Science. Yep. Not to be confused with Quasar Radio and TV. Is that a company? There used to be a company called Quasar. <laughs> well, Quasar's TV. That's of, what I mean. Yeah. Of a long time ago. Yeah, which I think they still made. Pardon? Yeah. Maybe. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, uh, all the copyright infringement issues with the name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Different markets. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So you can start recording. We just edit. Let me know when you are. You're recording? Okay. So we got Ben. Dynas. Dynas. And what's your position with the company? Uh, CTO. Oh, okay. Chief You're like really important. Officer. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> How do you spend, pronounce your last name? Dynas. Dynas? Dynas. Dynas. Okay. Ben Dynas, Quasar Science. Yep. CTO. Okay. Hi, Keith Moreau here, Tech Move, Cinegear 2019. We're here with Ben Dynas, CTO of Quasar Science, and he's going to tell us about his company and some of the products. All right, so uh, yeah, Quasar Science, we're largely a LED lighting company. We've been around for a couple years now, uh, started off with our, our bicolor tubes and have since ventured into what we call our rainbow lamps and a new, some new products here at the show today. Um, I have been hearing about quasar tubes for not that long, maybe a couple of years, yeah. but now I hear about them all the time. So tell me a little bit about the evolution of the company from the very beginning when you started with the tubes, maybe a little bit about whatever technology you're using inside, and then some of the new products. Sure. So uh, Quasar Science started from uh, lighting technicians. The company was, was founded with DPs, gaffers, and lighting technicians and programmers we just started to build lights that we wanted to use on set. And ultimately we said, I think other people want to use these. Maybe we should start making more of them. So it kind of spawned from this idea that if we were wanting to use them, maybe other people would. Um, it came, we first came out with our switch tube. Then it came our crossfades, which uh, go from 2000 to 6000K, all track dimmable. And then eventually we got to what are called our rainbow lamps. Those are kind of our flagship now. They're wirelessly controlled, onboard controls, RGB, 2000K, 6000K to be able to create any color of white light on any color of uh, any saturated light as well. What's inside these tubes? Um, inside these tubes are lots of uh, electronics. Uh, we have the Timo the inside is how we do our wireless control. The what inside? It's called the Timo, a product made by Lumen Radio to, do, to, to be able to wirelessly control the lights. So inside the tubes are diodes, light emitting diodes. And uh, we have RGB and 2000K and 6000K. And we use the 2000K and 6000K diodes to create your white light. So something that unique that we do is we desaturate white light. We desaturate uh, solid color lights. I'm blanking on the terminology. <laughs> we desaturate light with a pre-selected white light. So if you have full red and you're going to desaturate towards white, well, what white are you desaturating towards? Are you desaturating to 4000K, towards 2000K, towards 6000K? So instead of just desaturating with RGB, we use the white light to fill in the light. So what, how, how do you actually desaturate? What's the process? Um, when, 
So typical desaturation, if you have a red light and you want to make it white, you would bring on the red and the blue diodes and bring down, I'm sorry, bring on the red and, I can't think. Can we take it back? We could edit all this stuff. Okay, I just want to make sure I've done some of these where they're like, uh, we got to start over. This is live. Uh, no. So typically when desaturating a red light, you would bring on the green and the blue and bring down the red. Well, that would create a really uneven looking light. So instead of doing that, we bring down the red and we bring up the pre-selected white light. So that kind of really helps to round out the light and make a nice, even spectral distribution on the light. Um, tell me, so you're a CTO. Yes. How do you get to be CTO? Um, you read a lot of uh, books and you do a lot of studying and really just immersing ourselves in the technology and helping the technology to evolve and having kind of a, a well-rounded idea of everything it takes to go that goes into the products. That's cool. And so you've been around how long? Uh, myself, like on the earth, or <laughs> no. um, I've I've been with Quasar Science for two and a half years, I think. Yeah. How how old is the company? Uh, the company, I believe, it was founded in 2015, and uh, we started selling in 2016, and uh, just growing from there. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the technology now. We've got, you told me a little about radio control, so I assume you can control it from, what, your iPad or some other remote controller? Right, so uh, we use, like I said, the, the Lumen radio chip we use for wireless control, which you need an intermediary device to, uh, for the iPad and stuff to talk to. Um, in our newer lights, we actually have Bluetooth control and Wi-Fi control. Got it. Okay, so an app on my iPhone could control it. Your app, an app on your iPhone could control them, yes. And select color, temperature. Color, temperature, intensity, you name it. Anything you could do manually on the light, anything you could do with the lighting console, you could do as well. How durable are these lights? Um, they are all aluminum housing. It's not a lot of, no plastic end caps or things like that. Um, the lens itself is plastic, but uh, it still can, it's, it's, it's a beast of a, of a light in the sense that it's, it's durable. I mean, I'm not going to drop it right now. Can we drive over it? Um, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, no. No test with driving? Some people drive over their lights. I don't really see a use case for uh, when you'd want it to keep working after driving it. I mean, everybody would want it to keep working when, after driving over it, but uh, you probably have to replace it at that point. <laughs> okay. I didn't know this was a comedy podcast. <laughs> we are actually pretty you funny. Any good jokes? Uh, not offhand. How many electricians does it take to plug in a light? How many? Let me take that back. How many <laughs> How many electricians does it take to plug in a light bulb? How many? It's not a light bulb. It's a lamp. <laughs> there you go. That's a little... That's a little gaffer. A little gaffer, yeah. Yeah. A little joke. A little grip gaffer. Electrical. Electrical joke. Now, before you were CTO, we, did you work in the film industry? Yes, I was a lighting programmer for 10 years in the film industry on movies, commercials, TV shows. What's a lighting programmer? Um, I'm the one who sits in the dark room and makes all the lights do fancy things, controls them from afar. On a movie set? On movies, yeah. Movies, TV shows, commercials, music videos. Wow. So there's a whole bunch of lights and there's some type of controller board and you punch it in and... Correct. So they're saying, hey, we want these lights as they cross over here. We want these ones to dim up and these ones to dim out. And then we want this police light to go in the background. And then when the guy steps over here, we want the whole set to turn green. Well, I'm the guy in the back making that all happen on the fly. And you do this real time or do you program it? Uh, most of it's real time. Wow, that's amazing. Because it reminds me a little bit about theater lighting. 
Right, yeah. Theater lighting is a little bit better because they get a lot of time to prepare and set it up on cues. In the film and TV world, it's always like, hey, we're going again, make it blue. And yeah, you push a bunch of buttons and make it blue. What's the worst disaster you've ever experienced? Besides this interview, I know. Um, the worst disaster I've ever experienced. Um, I don't uh, know. Doing, doing your job with the, with the lighting control. You know, as, as a lighting programmer, I, I tend to never sweat it if I make mistakes. But when the equipment's not working, oh, man. Because, you, you know, computers... They, when, they, when they just don't want to work for you, that's, uh, that's when I start to sweat it. So blue screen of death, death, unplug it, reboot. Yeah, kick it over and walk away. So what, what was the worst time that ever happened? And how, how mad was the director? Um, well, if everybody's doing their job right, the director never knows about it, right? You have a, you have a nice replacement standing in the wings to uh, take over the control. Or to take the blame. Or to take the blame, yeah. <laughs> that guy. It's all his fault, yeah. So do you, you want to show me something special about these lights? AC powered, batteries, etc. We have. So this here, now. this here's our. I guess I should leave it plugged in. Uh, so you can hit this bracket. Maybe we could dim it down slightly. So this light here is our. I'm going to dim it down and then we'll go. It's going to be great. So we, we're just trying to find ways to make it. Uh, more so there's a little panel in the front with a small. LCD display, LED display, or some type of display that shows us what's going on. Yeah, so this here is what we call our double rainbow. Our previous lights, the rainbow, it was a single channel, 1.5 inches. This is now a full three inches across, double rainbows. Um, it has all metal end caps. We have uh, manual controls on the side. On this side, we have AC power, DC power, uh, DMX over Cat5, as well as it will do uh, SACN and ArtNet control. Um, and it has onboard effects, including a TV effect, emergency lights, fire effects, strobe lights, short circuit lighting, all, all types of uh, new effects on there. Oh, I see. So special effects so you can mimic light, like a TV reflecting in your right. face. Like a TV gag. It's kind of used, I like to use it, think of it as like a punt device. Like, oh man, they just threw something at me last minute. How am I going to do that? I don't have a programmer. Well, we have some effects built in to be able to handle that. And how would you mount this light? Um, on the back, we've got a quarter 20 mounts, so this has magnets on it right now. We also have what's called a bridge plate that screws onto the back in these, uh, into this quarter 20 channel. Uh, and there's different lengths and brightnesses of this? Yes, this, uh, we have a two foot and four foot of the double rainbows. And then of the, the normal rainbows, we have two foot, four foot, and eight foot. Are you aware of the productions that use this? Lots of productions use this. What's a big production that uses a bunch of these lights? Um, well, these are brand new, but our rainbows are currently on the new Star Trek. They were in Captain Marvel, Black Panther, movies like that. Do you go on set and recommend placement and usage? Oh, uh, that's not my job. I recommend the lights. <laughs> Their job is to figure out where they go. So what's an example of how this light might be used? Um, well, uh, all sorts of ways. Um, an example might be if you're trying to do a fire effect. I'll pull up a, a little quick fire effect here. If you have an off-camera fire and you want somebody to to feel like uh, they're near a fire. Okay, so let's 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 pretend we're in front of a fireplace. Okay. We're gonna do this. Let me get a nice uh, nice color temp going here. He's he's tuning the color temp to the fire temperature, which I'm not really sure what that. I think it's probably pretty low. Oh, there we go. Okay, so now we're like 
Oh, man. That's oh, good. this is yeah. really warm. Um, kind of, cause is that is that part of the fireplace supposed to be on fire? The part yeah, of your no, booth? it's all supposed to be on fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not supposed to be. Okay. I feel that. It's good. Well, I think we've exhausted all comedic possibilities of this particular interview with Ben. Ben's been great. Oh, we're using a little, uh, we'll call it Veronica Fu. There you go. Hiya! She's really good at directing traffic. Thank you so much, Ben. You've been great. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Keith Moreau signing off Tech Move, Cinegear 2019. Ben is sidling back, scurrying away to his other sets of lights. Ben is, uh, has been really helpful to us, and we're really actually really, really grateful to be uh, looking at this new set of lights here. Signing off, Cinegear 2019 for Tech Move. Well, that is Quasar Science and uh, Ben Dynas uh, with our very own Keith Moreau on uh, the Tech Move continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019. I really like, folks, you really got to, let me encourage you, you got to look at the video that uh, Keith was able to capture because this uh, this fire effect thing is uh, is quite nice looking. I, I I thought it looked quite natural. Uh, uh, it's a very nice what what do they call it double rainbow unit something like that. I think yeah, that's what this, he calls it. This model is the double rainbow. I think it's a newish unit. I think it's one of the newer it, ones. It, it sounds as if it's the one that replaced his single rainbow, and uh, so so I, it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, I think they still might have the single versions. But okay. anyway, they have a lot of different products, actually. They have a huge lineup of different things, from really, really simple ones, which are really good deals, um, just a simple singular color temperature. Kind of, I think they were like the original ones. And then they're starting to get more and more sophisticated, like RGB and stuff like that. RGB lights are starting to... Like, that's the next... The next phase of lighting is RGB, which means you can just change whatever, change them to whatever color you want. It's not just a kind of kind of a slight fade from, you know, dual color from tungsten to daylight temperature. Now it's just anything you want. Oh, wow. So yeah. yeah, so you can so you can use them, you know, for normal lighting situations. But all lighting is a little, you know, like ambient lighting is usually a little mixture of different temperatures. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes, um, you know, you really have to tune the temperature properly, like to an exact amount. And then if you're on a set or something, it's, it's great to be able to say, okay, let's make all this like, you know, 3,800 Kelvin. Okay, go. And then everything's tuned to the same temperature and, and through DMX and other ways of controlling them. Uh, you can actually do that. This is kind of a trend with lighting these days. It's just becoming much easier to tune in, tune the lights to the exact color temp you want. Um, and then if you want to just have like an effect, like I'd like, I'd like that background to be blue, you know, or a, like a, like a green blue or something that's really odd. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just do that. You just set it up and you can either manually tune them or put it, do it through your phone or whatever and just tune it to this temperature. And then later you can recall it. You know, if you later you have to reset up the scene. You can say, oh, that was at this temperature with this this set of RGB values. So it's all becoming pretty cool, you know. And without using plastic gels of any type, like yes. uh, like we used to do in the old in the olden days, I would. Imagine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That that gel stuff was. <laughs> I mean, you still I still have that stuff. Obviously, of course, of I have course. all kinds of lights, and you also need to sometimes just practical lights that are in the scene. You have to gel them. 
right. somehow. Right. But um, but still, this is just it's a new it's the new era of lighting, RGB lighting. And it keeps evolving, which is pretty neat. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, things get smaller, even though for this, it's not that it's really like pocket size or anything like that. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good size. You know, you definitely have to pack it in your gear bag. But uh, but for everything I can do, still quite portable and, and mobile and, and the like. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty convenient to have a long, skinny thing. Yeah. It's, they turn out to be pretty portable. Yeah. So I, I like that. I have yeah I have I've been using these really cheap Chinese knockoff um, knockoffs of the ice of the Westcott ice light for years. Okay, and um, they've really served me well, even though they're really inexpensive and kind of you know not not the highest quality, but they're really good. For, like I use them for lighting green screens and things like that because that 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 long um, kind of skinny light is actually perfect for those things. And they don't take up much space, so you just put them on either side of your green screen. Now, the thing that you could do that you can do even better than the lights I currently have with these quasars is you could actually tune it to green, like actually tune it to that color, and then that actually makes it much more efficient because you can light it a lot less. You can light the green oh. screen less, yeah, because it's not spill. It's not. It doesn't need to reflect just that color. It's it's only reflecting the color that you want it to, which is this spectral green. And then you can tune that light down so everything is less bright. And so you have less spill and this less distracting. So it's, you know, things like that, that this is just a practical application for this type of light, but there's just so many more. Oh, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. It be, because it, it is true. You really should be lighting a green screen to, to, to get a, a lot more evenness out of it. But, uh, yeah. And, yeah. and this will allow you to kind of get a constant green no matter no matter what. Yeah. No, I like it. All right. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Well, again, Keith, that is uh, Ben Dynas from Quasar Science. Uh, You can find them, uh, I guess, wherever uh, the internet holds them. I don't know. It's I don't know. Is it QuasarScience.com or something like that? Let me let me do. Yes, it is. Is is. it okay? QuasarScience.com. Excellent. Check out their stuff. Wherever find VCRs. <laughs> Not really. Sorry, Quasar guys. Uh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> uh, Keith, thanks so much. So uh, l- let's do this. Let's take another break and we'll get back to more of our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019 right here on Tech Move. It's Tech Move and Cinegear 2019 in our continuing coverage of such. And, uh, Keith has a very, very nice uh, interview to present to all of us right now, and it is with the fine folks of Aperture, and specifically uh, their brand new uh, president of Aperture, Mr. Ted Sim, and I believe that Keith has struck up a uh, quite a nice uh, relationship uh, with this young man and uh, has presented a, a, a great interview. Uh, Keith, how did, uh, besides us talking to Aperture before, uh, you know, was this pretty easy to, to, to get Ted uh, uh, for, for our latest installment of our interviews? Um, Ted and Aperture just in general it, are extremely popular at these shows now. Like at NEB, um, they had a pretty big setup there and they almost it was almost like a stage they set up they're getting kind of like that like black magic design level of of popularity where there's just people crowding around it's just packed 
and they're kind of doing presentations as well at the same time on a little stage. Right. Um, but uh, so actually, I couldn't even really get his attention at NAB. Like um, at this interview here at Cinegear, when I said, "Hey," I tr-, and he said, oh, "Why didn't I see you?" Jen? I I said I tried to. I said you were so swamped that I couldn't even like talk to you. He's oh, I'm sorry, but um, yeah, they're it's not easy actually. It's easier a little a little bit easier at Cinegear, I think, because I don't know I don't know the reason, but it seems like there's a little bit less traffic at times. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and um, it's more of a industry type show, right? Um, specifically for cinematography stuff. So, um, it might be a little bit easier. So I've I've always had better better interviews at at Cinegear, um, than in AB with Ted. Um, anyway, this was a great thing. You know, the first time we interviewed him was like 2015 or 2016. It was a while back. It was several years ago. Um, and even then we had these kind of fun and crazy interviews, you know, not, not, not just centering on the gear, but kind of centering on personalities and just life in general. (laughs) No, that's great. And, and this one kind of takes it to the next level because we talk very little about the gear because, you know, he just said this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's very helpful. I think we talked. Yeah, it's a, it's a long interview. Yeah, which a lot a lot of these in depth ones are because that makes them actually better because it's not the same stuff you hear on all the different, you know, review channels and everything for Aperture Gear. Right, that's what makes Tech Move special, I think. And <laughs> uh, amongst other things, I amongst don't mind <laughs> uh, patting myself on the back and and yourself uh, to a, to a lesser degree, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so so it's a it's a long interview. We probably only spend about five minutes on Aperture Gear, and the rest we're talking about Ted's Indie Mogul channel on YouTube. That's he's, right. Yeah, he's he's resurrected along with the help of a few other people, which he he's very generous to give other people credit as well. Um, he's actually resurrected this channel that was started a decade ago, I think, um, and I think it's got. I don't know. It's got an amazing number of subscribers. I don't know if it's like a hundred thousand or a million or it's just like crazy how how many subscribers it has. Um, and he's and he's up that in in a very short period of time, uh, like a couple months. Fabulous. Um, yeah, and it's really good. I mean, I would suggest going to YouTube and searching for Indie Mogul or searching for Ted Sim, and you will find um, that channel. And it's very informative um, interviews with industry professionals, like high end people, people that like are making you know, music videos that are upper echelon, people that are making short films, commercials, um, or even longer films and commercials. And, um, and he's really good. He's really good. He's, he's very energetic. He's got a good spirit. Um, you know, so over the years, we've kind of developed this little relationship, even though we really only see each other during the shows. Sure. Um, it's, I feel like we kind of know each other now. And so the interview kind of reflect, reflects that it's funny. We go all over the place, talk about life, philosophy, cinematography, filmmaking, um, a little bit about Aperture Gear. <laughs> I'm glad he at least got to throw it in there. That's good. I mean, uh, being the president <laughs> and all. Well, fantastic. Okay, so l- l- let, let, let's get to it. Let's uh, give this one a listen. Here we are with uh, Ted Sim of Aperture and Indie Mogul, along with our very own Keith Moreau and our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019. You only get this interview right here on Tech Move. Hey, there we go. Look at that. Beautiful light. Here wow. we are, you and me. Big, beautiful, big, beautiful soft light. Beautiful soft light. Okay. How have you been? 
I see you guys Good. all around the world too. Yeah, I think we. I mean, we were there at NAB and I saw you, but you were just so busy with everything there. It was crazy. <laughs> it was yeah, good, it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. You didn't? I didn't see you at NAB though. I don't think. I was there. I was just kind of hanging up. You were just so. Come up and said hey. I should have said hi, but it was we had you know. Okay. You you were doing great. And so um. I think we'll just do like we won't do like a total product kind of thing. It's more like casual type thing. Yeah. So um, you have a new title. I do. Wait a second. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I am now hosting Indie Mogul. Uh, in addition to also managing apertures, so I kind of have two jobs right now. But wait, wait, not just managing. See, you're so modest. You're not just managing aperture. You are. What are you? We have a team of people that help out with everything. Uh, yes, I'm the president of Aperture, but we have a team of people that help us manage Aperture. And the only way I can do Indie Mogul is because I have some friends that help me out and run the channel as well, too. So it is a team effort. I do sleep. It works out. Uh, it is I don't a lot of work, I will say. I don't think you sleep that much. <laughs> debatable. This is a debatable thing that you can say yes or no to. But uh, I think I sleep just fine. And we again, we have a really good team of people working on both companies. So. We've been able to, again, I, I think as Aperture's gotten bigger, uh, and this is fun because we did an interview when Aperture was first blowing up. Um, as Aperture's gotten bigger, I started to find that more of the work that I was doing was like kind of business management and that like that just, it gets tiring really fast. And Mogul, when the guys came around and they said, uh, hey, do you know anybody that'd be a good fit for Indie Mogul? It's been such a kind of creative outlet and such a great place to just go and have fun. And it, don't get me wrong, it's still work. It's still a tremendous amount of work, but... It adds a new element to the day-to-day -day that I, I think I really like a lot. So, Okay, so let's talk about how you, how you start from wherever you were at Aperture yep. Yep. to being... He, didn't, he never even said it. He said he manages things. See, I, I don't know. I have a lot of people helping me. But he doesn't really say what his title is. We have a lot of people helping me. I don't want to. Come on. This is the president. The president of Aperture. Absolutely. How you doing? I also have a team of people that are great and help out and do great, wonderful things. Yep. And he still works 24-7. This is true. But again, a lot of people working together. I'm just going to keep saying it. A lot of people and also great group of people supporting us. Like, I say this all the time, but even if we had a killer team, even if I was working all the time at Aperture or Mogul, uh, it's really the people that kind of have followed along and watched the content or hung out and hung out with us. So uh, I always say all the time, like, we got really lucky with Aperture because... I don't know what happened, but people reached out and they were very supportive from the get-go. And we've, it's sort of been this mutual relationship where we make things, they help us make things, we make the things better, and it goes back and forth. So uh, it's crazy to be here right now, kind of five years later after it. So It is kind of crazy. It's crazy, right? Yeah. But you're, you're, you're great. Your energy's great. I can see how this whole thing came about, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So congratulations. Thanks, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. It's cool to do these interviews kind of once a year, right? You know, I'd like to see like a library of these over a long period of time. Like every year it'll be like, oh, things are hard, but we're still growing. <laughs> Hopefully, right? Yeah. Actually, one comment we got recently on the podcast, uh, because they went back, it was some new listener uh, uh, said, wow, I didn't realize that Aperture was a small company. We are a super small and super young company. Well, I mean, they, they don't realize that. Yeah. They, 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 don't, they don't know that you're not like some of, the, some of the big guys that have been around for 20 years. No, not at all. Again, uh, you know, people, it's not a, it's not a, uh, a weird thing to be a 100-year-old company here. There's a lot of 100-year-old companies here. Uh, 
Yeah, we're six years old now. <laughs> Super young. Still kind of figuring out our footing for sure. I think we, we have a routine now, but we still have a long way to go. I think people, this is the first year people have come over and said like, it was a weird NAB. People came over and they were like, how does it feel to be like a heavy hitter lighting company? And I'm like, I'll tell you once we feel like we actually are there, you know? Because uh, I think we're still figuring out things every day. You know, we're, the team has gotten a lot bigger, but because of that, you know, it almost feels like when people say like, oh, I've been here for three years or two years, it's like, oh, wow, aperture veteran, you know? So uh, we still have a long way to go, a lot of things to learn, and we're getting better every day. That's awesome. So you want to take care of business and, and do a little marketing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you want to hear a little bit? Yeah. So I, I actually recently got one, one of your fairly new lights, the, the 120D2. Mark II, yes, I love that light. The Mark II, the three light kit, I use it all the time. And the three light kit, a lot of people haven't heard about it because we haven't pushed it a lot because Mark II sold out immediately and then we couldn't fill the kits with them. So I had a bunch of empty cases sitting in a warehouse and I was like, damn it, what do I do with these empty cases? So they sat there for like four months, finally back in stock, so now the kits are back. So we got these like rolling cases that you can fit in sedans. Instead of telling you about the products, I'll just tell you the stories about some of the products. How about that? Got this new light called the Amaran RC. And it's basically a tiny little Edison bulb that you can now change colors, totally wirelessly controllable. You can change it via app and it doesn't flicker at any frame rate. And it's full RGB too. You can see it right there on the table. That light right there has a built-in battery. So I can actually pull it out of the socket and it'll still be on at max power. And I can change the color and everything. So the idea for that light though was uh, we actually had a DP, uh, this amazing Spanish DP named Pablo Diaz. He shoots a bunch of Netflix movies. And he came over and he just started telling us about this like, crazy dream that he had about filling like a, a bathtub with light bulbs that were all on and he was like is this possible to do and we were like yeah there's spilled a battery into the light there's probably something you can do so after his weird strange bathtub dream we now have this product that a lot of people are excited about and i think people don't realize how uh how random some of the ideas are <laughs> like the m9 for instance our tiny little light we had this kid online that was like uh can you make me an index card that lights up and we were like Sure, why not? Can you, he said, he's writing, it was online too. So he wrote, can you, can you give me an index card that can do lighting up? You know, just somewhere, I don't know where he wrote it from. So we write lighting up on all of our M9s as a tribute to that kid. Uh, and if, you're out, if you're out there anywhere, anywhere on the internet. in the internet about the little index card, just, just uh, write. It was you. It was you. And that and little inscription there, it's for you. Yeah, and when we made the light, we were like, we weren't, we weren't even sure if it'd be popular. We were like, we'll just make this thing and maybe people would like it. And it ended up being one of our most popular products today. And it just goes to show that some things you can't plan. Um, and the best ideas come from users, right? Like we weren't, I don't know. We, I don't, now it seems obvious in hindsight, right? Like everybody needs a tiny little LED. But at the time we were like, what are people going to do with this thing? Like you can't key someone with it really. You can't fill someone with it. Like, so. So what do you do with it? What do you do with an M9? Oh, so I actually used it on the Indie Mogul trip recently. So the Indie Mogul trip was particularly good for, for a lot of reasons, but one of the ones that I liked it the best for was that, because uh, I used to own and operate, I used to shoot a lot, but then pre, once Aperture really took off, I found myself in the office a lot, which was just hard because I wasn't on set and I was still talking about gear, like we were using it all the time. What was so fun about Indie Mogul was that I, we could go out and I could take the products and be like, all right, start lighting things and I could see all the shortcomings and all the benefits and like, just seeing in person and realizing, you know, the number of times that I'd be in like an overlit place and I'm like, I've seen a little kicker. M9! Yes! I'm so glad someone designed this, you know? 
Uh, it gave us an appreciation for the products that I think we didn't have before. So, so like an M9, you might, you might be just overhead, really washy lighting, and you just Filling yeah, those, those a little bit. Or an M9. On the side. Yeah, we, we gel it all the time just to do a little edge light. You can add a little color in there too. Um, but really, as like a as like a run and gun kind of just fill in the eyes, give a little eye pop. So useful, man. A yeah, little eye light, so important. You know, absolutely. Um, what else? We got the RC that came out. Wirelessly charging cases. Again, ideas that users gave us. Uh, I think I saw this photo of Phil Holland. He had twelve MXs, and he had this IKEA USB port set up. And he posted this photo, and it was like a pride thing of like, look at all my lights. But then we saw it, and we were like, oh, look at all those ugly cables. This is a huge problem. We need to fix this. So new MCs, super tiny M9 lights. They're twice as bright as an M9. Full RGB control, wirelessly controllable. They can do effects and cop cars and all that stuff too. And those lights, we actually can uh, put them in the case, and the case has a battery in it. And the case actually will actually wirelessly charge it using quick charge PD. So the same thing that your AirPods use that can charge them in 15 minutes, that quick charge mode, it'll actually work on your MCs now. So can you put your AirPods in there too? You can. You thought that was a trick question. You thought that was a joke. You can throw your phone in there. Technically speaking, it'll charge your phone wirelessly as well. Okay, I'm going to try it now. You can't do it right now. You can't do it right now. That's a trick question. And the reason you can't do it right now is because the grooves right now are a little too deep. We're going to make them a little more shallow so that a bunch of people can throw their phones in. There's no problem. I think you got like a, another product line coming out. Non-lighting. Charging cases of like luggage that charges your... I kind of like... You could make like a hard shell backpack that has a battery built into it that you can like plug into the wall when you get home. It's almost like a Tesla battery or something. And then just throw all your stuff into it and it charges it when it's in your bag. That's it. It's a pretty good idea. And then you have like Uber-like Uber people with these backpacks just roaming around. Waiting for the call. Could I have my battery charged? Throw it into the backpack. Did you hear about those? Uh, th th someone had the idea of making roads into solar panels, and then they wirelessly charge the car. So it absorbs the sun and then wirelessly charges your Tesla when you're driving it somewhere. The most expensive thing in the world, but kind of cool, not going to lie. It'd make me a lot more happy about driving on the freeway for sure. I also had this idea, too, while we're talking about shower thoughts. <laughs> While we're talking about shower thoughts, I was recently thinking about how uh, when we have self-driving cars, theoretically speaking, you're, you, could, you could ship something to your friend in New York. You're like, oh, you need to borrow a light? I'm going to put this light in my car, and then you can send your car <laughs> to go drive across the country. And then it'll pull up to your friend's doorstep in New York, and they could pull their light out and then send your car back to you. So theoretically, you could be sitting at home. If your car is driving nonstop, your car disappears for seven days. And then seven days later, it comes back and it's really dirty and has like a bunch of mud on it and few, snow on it. A few uh, straggling pedestrians. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. A couple of people that like hitched a ride the entire way for sure. Super funny, man. Yeah. I love, I love the idea. <laughs> uh, this is awesome. Okay. Yeah. So you took care of business? Took care of it. What do you mean? Instead uh, of talking about the new gear? New gear. Oh man, there's all kinds of new things. Okay. Let me, let me last two things. RGB lights totally coming up. We have a $1,500 full RGB metal light that we think is coming out that should change the game. It should be the first time that people can own and operate high-end studio-grade RGB. The panel light? Yeah, panel light. We have the 300D Mark II. This is a single source, 25% uh, brighter. We took all the feedback in, controller box and ballast built into one, six-meter-long cables. There's a million things I can talk about this, but just watch some video at NAB, and I can blab about it then. Uh, Wait, I have, the, I have the original 300. So what's new? 
Are you ready? Are you ready to hear what's new? Or I can talk about the trading program that there's also. We're oh, there is? Program. There's going to be a discount for tier. I think it's just like you scan serial number. We haven't decided yet, but we're going to try to keep the family all together. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for the trade-in program. You'll get like a $5 Starbucks coupon. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. I think the, the 300D Mark II, uh, all, all in one controller ballast. We took the fans out of the ballast, so you don't have to worry about that all passive cooling. I like that. Uh, six meter long nutrient cable from the ballast to the wall. You can actually get a 25 meter long cable from the controller box to the head. So you can leave your controller box on the floor, rig it up on a menace arm, no problems. Uh, also, paracord there, so nylon cable so that you can actually hang it off of things. Little feet, little booties on the light so you can lay it on the floor without getting it too dirty. Powers off of a single battery now. DMX in there on the bottom. And then you've also got the ability now on the front here, you can actually do wireless control. The antennas are now built into the controller box. Yeah. And this case here is kind of a nerdy thing to nerd out about. But now that wait, I'm, wait, now that, yeah, you can see, you see, you know about it already. I'm going to try sitting on this case. Okay. I'm actually getting kind of tired. This interview is very tiring. This very, the interview is very tiring. Wait, I can do some leg lifts. I'm doing, I'm getting a little, it's like a little crunch platform and I'm charging my, I'm charging my iPhone at the same time. case. There's not even a light in there. So. Actually, you don't know. You're watching this. You don't know if he's sitting on a $1,000 light, just slowly crushing it from the top. <laughs> this could be happening as well. You don't know. It's all possible. I think we have another. Not only do we have chargeable uh, Uber things, we have little stools for people that are really light. Yep, super, super lightweight, really easy to carry. No problems here. Um, and the idea, too, is that you know the world is changing. I think the way that people shoot things, I might have just dropped that $1,000 light. You don't know. The uh, world's changing, I think. You gotta have anyone that thinks that you can't take care of the running gun shooter. The world is changing, man. There's a lot of digital content getting shot now. There's a lot of people that are shooting documentary footage or I don't know, social media footage, digital. It's gotta be fast, it's gotta be running gun. So we're trying to make everything quick and lightweight, but this year you will see bigger lights from Aperture as well too. Really awesome. Okay, so let's yeah. move back a little bit. Now, now we're gonna talk, now we're gonna talk. Okay, so we talked about the D, the 300D2. We talked about the charging case. We talked about the Edison battery powered, which we're going to take little photos and insert. Absolutely. Um, what about this China Ball thing up there? Ew! Right there, China Ball Lantern. The Lantern is coming out at the same time as the 300D Mark II. They're going to launch at the same time. This right here is going to be about, we think, about $100. It's a quick one blow up design. So basically, you just push in two cables. I can literally set it up in under five seconds and like literally blow it up. Close it down. It's got Velcro sleeves here on the side. And what's cool about this is that this is double-sided Velcro. So the skirt, I can actually roll it up onto itself. I don't have to worry about diapering it with C47s or grip clips or anything like that. I can now just roll the skirt onto itself and adjust my light with like micro adjustments. So phone's wow. attachment coming out. We believe it should be out in four weeks too. So really soon. Yeah. I like the China ball with the extra little, I don't know. What do you call that? Safari safari sunscreen on the back <laughs> it looks like a little hat like a little like 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 african safari hat yeah i can totally see that yeah, yeah the, the lantern i think we've been you know you have the space light you've got the china balls but there hasn't really been like an affordable replacement for china balls i think up until now and now with the bones mount light again i think people look at the aperture if you don't realize this already the aperture ecosystem is all about being modular you have one light 
a 300D or 120D or something bigger, <laughs> and you can modify it however you need, right? So for now, a Lantern, a softbox, you can change whatever size you want. Um, it's all about versatility and the idea that one light can kind of do everything. So, And what we heard there, in between, if you read between the lines, we are coming out with a 1000D Mark I. Unconfirmed, for sure. <laughs> Definitely not a confirmed thing. 1000D Mark One with uh, don't be surprised equivalent of five five K ten K capability. We're not sure. I can say for sure we're going bigger and bigger. And I think if you're uh, waiting for a high end LEDs, that look. My goal is I want everybody to be able to afford a light where you're like, I don't like the position of the sun. Let's just move the sun so that it makes a shadow through this tree on our back wall. That's what I want everyone to be able to do. And if you have an interview and you're shooting it indoors, I want you to be able to have the ability to say, you know, oh, this is a cool window blind effect here. Why don't we just uh, move the sun a little bit and cast it over here? If you have, we're not that far away from it either. I think we're, to be totally realistic, not to let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but in the next three years, you'll see everyone's going to have high-end, high-capacity, high-powered LED lights that you can essentially modify the sun however you want. And that day is coming really soon. And then my question is, what's the next thing after that? Yeah. We're going to be modifying the sun. Then we're going to be modifying other stars. Other stars in, in, the, <laughs> in the solar system. Even brighter than the sun. Yeah. I, apparently the sun isn't even like a very bright star. It's quite trivial. It's like one of the least, yeah, it's one of the, like, the least bright stars out in the universe. That kind of sucks, right? Like that makes me question my own existence. You know, I'm like, damn, we didn't even get the brightest star. Are we even that important on this planet? Is Earth even that important? Who, who is out there with a brighter star than us? Not uh, there. Well, they're going to come and invade us soon. Yeah. Edi <laughs> anyway. Or maybe they've already come and invaded us. Maybe, dun, we, dun. maybe we are them. Yeah, anyway, this, this getting, back, awesome. <laughs> getting, back, getting back to reality. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk. Now we cut over some of the products, yep. which is awesome. You're, yep. uh, I mean, it's just amazing. You yep. guys are cool. Uh, I can't wait to get more of your products. Um, now about you personally with the tell me tell me about the mm -hmm. indie mogul stuff yeah absolutely the history tell me the background yes yeah, so uh if you guys don't know who, what indie mogul is it's basically like the first ever filmmaking youtube channel online ever which is super exciting it was before film writers for everyone ryan Connolly is amazing i don't know how he's been doing this for 11 years 10 11 years this guy is a Wait, not ronald Connolly. not ryan connelly Film right. Oh, about film yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Indie mogul. You were talking about Ryan Connolly. No. Indie mogul <laughs> is a channel that came out around the same time as film right. right. No, I'm I'm a fan of both of them. Yeah, I love Indie yeah. Mogul. Uh, honestly, learned so much watching their stuff. Reverend Hammond. Uh, and I think about like three to four years ago, uh, Google actually bought the channel, and then they ran it for a little bit, and then they stopped the funding for it. So they had this just empty channel just sitting there with no one running it. This was a super sad day for any mogul fans. Griffin Hammond had to go find a job somewhere else, and the channel was dead and sitting there. And then uh, two years ago, the Indie Mogul people reached out to the original creators of Indie Mogul, and they were like, "Hey, you want this channel back for free? Here it is." Uh, super surprising, but the original creators—they had moved on. They were shooting commercials, they were shooting TV, they were shooting all kinds of stuff. So those guys reached out, and uh, I was talking to them just as aperture, and just saying, "Oh, you know, I love the work that you guys do. I've been an original Indie Mogul fan. If you guys need lights, let me know." And uh, one of the things that they asked me. Total surprise. They were like, hey, do you know anybody else that would be good to run the Indie Mogul channel? And I was like, huh, let me think about that. So I made a list of like 20 people. Uh, you know, I had people like, you know, like YC was on there and a bunch of my, my favorite online filmmakers that I think would all do an amazing job on it. Two months pass, I reach out to my friend. I'm like, hey, did anybody reach out to you? They're like, no. 
Nobody, not a single person reached out. So then, you know, a good idea kind of stalks you. Well, so I'm sitting there and like, oh, you know, a week goes by, two weeks go by. And at one point I'm like, I'll just ask. So I call them up in the middle of the blue. It's probably like nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, hey, I know you asked me if I knew of anybody, but what would you say to me possibly doing it? And of course, their answer is like, well, duh. Yeah, this is why we asked you. We were expecting you would say something. So I was like, oh, well, this is quite embarrassing. It's been two and a half months now. <laughs> Dragged my feet on it. So. We went back and forth on it, and uh, my whole thing was that if we did the channel, it would be something that I would want to run and kind of operate by myself. So uh, we ended up actually, we bought the channel, but it was very much like a, a mutual, like we want to give you the channel anyways. We didn't pay much money for it. It was more about legacy at that point. So uh, we had the IndieMogul channel. We started kind of preparing for it. It was a big change for sure, but my kind of dream for it was that I think with Aperture, I was meeting... You know, like last week I was talking to, to Rodney Charters, ASC, shoots uh, Shameless and 24 and like just an awesome DP. Uh, I talked to awesome drone operators, talked to some cool people. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was I wanted to bring on some of these high-end DPs or some of these high-end filmmakers and just have a show where they can come on and teach whatever they want to teach and not have it be like an Aperture ad, you know? So uh, have we accomplished that yet? I don't know. I will say so far, we've done a cool, huge kickoff tour. We brought on my favorite filmmakers online. But now that we're in LA, we want to try to bring on some LA filmmakers that you know maybe aren't on social media, maybe that aren't teaching things because they don't have a YouTube platform. But and they don't have the time for that. They're shooting, you know? But I would love it if, you know, once a year we could bring on some high-end people and have a show where like, like my dream is I want to go lens shopping with Bradford Young. I want to go to like the Pasadena flea market and be like, here's $200. Mr. B, please, please let me know what lens to pick out with this. And, uh, you know, are we there yet? Probably not. But I think as the show continues, I'm going to bring on higher and higher end guests. Yesterday, we just had an episode with Justin Jones. He's a DP that shoots for Create Music Group, which is uh, he's done music videos for Beyonce. He's done music videos for Kendrick Lamar. And uh, pretty soon uh, he, we did an episode about music videos together. So I want to bring a drone pilot on. Uh, I know one guy that does drone lighting, so we're going to do an episode with him. Um, and whether it gets a lot of views or not, I don't care at this point with Indie Mogul. It's not about making money. It's more about us just having fun and uh, being able to make content that excites us. So, I remember recently you, you got to a million views. We did. We got a subscribers. subscribers. Yes, we did. Uh, we totally aren't. You know, I think the joke with that episode was that we were like, we did it from a zero to a hundred and like, Realistically, IndieMogul has had 10 hosts over its span over the 10 years. And, uh, you know, everyone from Griffin Hammond to Zach Finrock to Grace Randolph. I mean, all those guys, Bobby Miller, they're all directing features now. Grace Randolph is, I think she's writing Marvel comics now. Um, she's like a huge critic online. Again, Eric Beck is like, like a DIY Lego wizard that Lego pays money to like make crazy contraptions and robots and, uh, doing robots for like like Marvel and for like a lot of huge companies now. Uh, Justin Johnson's doing like documentaries for like Lululemon and stuff. So it's cool to see all these people doing what they love. Uh, so again, the joke of the episode was that, you know, there's no heritage and there's nothing to respect. But in reality, we only got like the last like what, like 30,000 subscribers. <laughs> Fortunately, we're at like a million fifty now. So, you know, it's like 80,000. But uh, the response has been really good. We're really happy with the people watching it. But of course, if you're interested in checking out some content, shameless plug, check out some of our stuff as well. Always working on something new there too. Oh, I love it. It's, you know, I, what I do is when I work out on a bicycle or the elliptical, I go to the gym and I go to my YouTube subscribers and yeah. I'm just, 
your your channel's popping up now, like it. at the top, and yeah. I get to watch it for. The, the YouTube episodes are a little shorter than the, the audio podcast, right? Yes, they are. So we do an audio podcast uh, where we do just like a full discussion with someone. And then after we do the interview, this is how we try to make it as genuine as possible. I'll actually just write up a little script of like what I learned from the interview too. And it's good for me because I think the gear industry, people think the gear industry like is really in the know about filmmaking. And in actuality, there's like a huge gap in terms of like being on set and learning things. So like for me, part of the homework is... I have to make sure that every month I'm going to a couple of film sets and seeing what's new and what are people learning and what's what's up to date. With Indie Mogul, well, I got I got an episode every week we got to make, so I got to talk to a DP. I got to learn something, you know. Um, You're obligated to an episode every week. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, who's who's gonna get mad if? I, mean, I guess the audience will get mad, but it's like my job to. It's a promise that I made to myself. Yeah, and we have a team of people helping us out there. So again, I think people think that I'm like in the office. Like cutting an episode, designing a light. Like, no, there's no way. It's, it's more like I go in the morning and I'm like, okay, we've got Aperture, we've got Andy Mogul. What fire needs to get put out now? And I'm working on that. Um, I think people don't, nothing is that structured, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's business and filmmaking. The two most like volatile, unpredictable, unmanageable, unplannable things that you could ever do. So uh, every day is sort of about figuring out what needs what um and if i feel overloaded at any time it's like well we need more people to help us out and i'll say right now indie mogul we don't make any money it's just a we just make the content the content the funds pay for the editor and then we do it again um and again it's not about making money it's about us just learning something so yeah it's really great giving back it's kind of what this podcast is about giving yeah. back a little bit of knowledge that we've all gained and yeah. sharing that and that's kind of why we do it. You and it's like public job, public service. Yeah, and public public service, and it's 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 also just fun. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's stressful as hell. You, can I explain to people some? And you guys understand this too that things that are fun are also a ton of work. I know people don't. They're like, I think I think there's this expectation of when you work in filmmaking that it's like, oh, like every day is like rainbows and sunshine. It's like you're doing yeah. the thing that you love and you've never worked another day in your life. Right. And every day is a cocktail party opening for your show. No, no, no. In fact, ninety percent, ninety-eight percent of it is like, oh, damn, we gotta figure out how to get this thing to that location. A lot of a lot of schlepping. How do we do it without wasting a lot of money? You know, yeah. most of art is schlepping. Most of it is schlepping. And most of the gear is schlepping. People think I'm like designing lights and like, no, that's like 3% of it. Like 96% of it is like, okay, we got two things that showed up at the warehouse, but the system says one. Let's go figure out what is going on over here. You know, you gotta, you gotta fix these boring problems, you know? Oh wait, someone's telling me that the battery that this company made doesn't work on our light. What's wrong with the battery? Well, let's go figure it out. You know, it's like not, it's so boring. It's, so mind-numbingly boring, so but it's got to get done. So, all, so, so to all those adolescent teenagers who want to be filmmakers, yep. you have to realize that there is a lot of work involved, actual yes. tedious work. It's mostly tedious work. It's mostly really boring work. In fact, this goes to two people. It goes to filmmakers, and it goes to people that want to work in like technology and gear design. Because I've had a lot of people come up to the show, and I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's the, the most heartwarming feeling to have someone come up to you and say, like, hey, you inspired me to like start designing gear. And here's some stuff that I'm like 3D printing and working on. And I'm like, this is awesome. Get ready for your call with B&H. Get ready for 
warehouse inventory. Get ready for fulfilling orders and sales. And they're like, what? I just wanted to make cool things. And I'm like, yeah, that's the fun part. The boring part is like making sure that your office is clean and then someone took out the trash today. <laughs> and then people are showing up on time. You know, it's like, this is 90% of it. This is 99% of it, honestly. So you, you seem to have um, a desire. Well, you're doing this indie mogul thing. Yes. You obviously are really into imagery and Just technique. Filmmaking. Just love filmmaking. How did that all start? Oh, man. Uh, little Bub, Little Ted, <laughs> walking around Silver Spring, Maryland by himself. Uh, I don't know. I think my, my dad always wanted to be a director. He always wanted to be a filmmaker, actually. My dad grew up in, um, I think he grew up in like a fisherman village in Korea. He came out here. He went to college. He's one of those international kids. Uh, brought my mom along. Always wanted to be a director, but the, the, here's the story that he gives. And I don't know if I believe him. Because it sounds like a very dad story, but he's like, I was going to be this, this hotshot director, movie maker. And I'm like, all right, dad. And he's like, uh, and then I had your, your brother, who's my older brother. And I, I was holding this kid and I was like, this is love. I have to give up everything that I'm doing. Such a martyr story. Such like an awful immigrant martyr story. And he's like, and I gave up all my hopes and dreams and I became an accountant, a CPA. And I decided I had to make money to like support these kids. So uh, that's his story. And he was always into watching a lot of movies. So I'd watch a lot of movies with him as a kid. You know, if... Uh, but he must have encouraged you then. A little bit. You know, I'm not sure. I, I would say it's just some subconscious thing that was a part of it, right? Watching a bunch of movies. Uh, you know, I just did like short films when I was a kid and just always wanted to do it. So I went to film school. Uh, studied theater and actually writing, and then I did cinematography after that. Came out for UCLA. Um, just always been a part of it, really. I worked as a projectionist assistant when I was a kid. Actually, when I was my first job ever, at 16, working in DC as a projectionist assistant. But it's kind of always been a part of the world. But uh, I think the part, it's changed a lot, though. You know, it's just changed so much. And I think maybe the thing that I thought the job was when I was a kid, it's not that job. And I think for me, it's it's been more about learning about. Um, I love this. This is getting very, very real, very real, very real on this. For me, it's been learning more about, okay, so it's not about whether you're doing the thing that you want to do or whether you're not doing the thing that you want to do. The real thing that I've had to learn is, okay, so I'm doing a thing that I want to do, and now I'm realizing that it's not exactly what I thought it would be. And now it's more about coming to terms with accepting and finding the new love and new joy that you have for the thing that you wake up for every day, right? Because I think a lot of filmmakers... And again, I can't even call myself really like a filmmaker, filmmaker, because I'm not, you know, doing commercials and stuff. But actually, no, I am doing commercials. I do the aperture commercials. Anyways, the thing that you think it is when you're a kid, even when you get it, it's not exactly that. And that sounds depressing, but it's not depressing because then you start to find the joy in the new things. Like for me, one of the things that I've learned this year that I really enjoy is like now that the aperture team isn't so small, now that it's like, you know, 20 of us in an office and we're like getting lunch every day and hanging out and like, uh, it's like building that family and building that team of people and having everyone work together. And like, yes, it sucks when you have to be like, come on, man, show up on time. We got to get this done. Um, but those moments make it that much more rewarding when, when it starts to work. Because that's the real game. The real game is how efficient can you be at doing all the schlepping so that when it comes prime time to like work on your main things, your head is clear, you're able to work on it. 
Um, if you can get through the shopping faster than other people, it means that you're a faster company. So, I don't know. That's actually a really good philosophy of life. Yeah. Be efficient on the things that are mundane yeah. so that when you, when you get to the point where you have to create art or do the, whatever the purpose is, yeah. that it's a little bit more flowing. Like you're not tied down with all those details and things that, just logistics, yeah. things that, that everybody has to do. You want to be able to put your art or, or whatever it is, the most creativity into the moment. Yeah, I think someone, someone said this quote and I love it. It's, uh, we can't all, you know, you know, there, there are geniuses in the world, but it doesn't matter if you're a genius or not, we can all be really organized. <laughs> and I would say being organized is more important than being a genius at something. <laughs> Honestly, if you're really organized, damn, damn, that is, ooh. I'm just thinking about all the work you can get done. If you're like really organized, you're, you're getting things done twice as fast as anyone else. You're efficient. You're able to make, and I think half of being creative is just making a lot of decisions and being like, Take the whole fail fast thing. It's like, let's try that. Garbage idea. Bad idea, but let's do it again. You know, next, yeah. next, yeah. next, next, next. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but if you're really unorganized, sure, you might get it right first time every time, but. It's just so much work. It's just so much work. Uh, and you're probably doing it in the slowest way possible. And like, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we've talked about lights brighter than the sun. Yes, we've talked about uh, dream. Uh, dreams as inspiration for products. Yes, indeed. Okay, so we have the bathtub lighting story. We have so, so we have the poacher stamp yeah. light, or postcard light. Uh, we have. Uh, go on. Uh, I was just talking about. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? I was talking about. <laughs> he forgot. I was about this, too. this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I did forget. Continue. Keep going. <laughs> We've got a philosophy of life which is be organized because you don't want to be wasting all your time just getting the mundane stuff together. Yeah. We've, we've actually covered a lot. I think actually this particular uh, interview, yeah. we could probably just publish a book. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, Ted Sims' philosophy, philosophy of Life. It would be called <laughs> The Biggest Loser. <laughs> just, <laughs> just be just king of the nerds. King of the nerds. King of the nerds. Yeah, I think I was telling this to other people, but the worst thing about Indie Mogul is that, you know, I used to be a nerd, and the only people that knew that I was a nerd was that other other nerds. And now it's like everyone knows I'm a nerd. You know, and it's not like being cool, and you're cooler when no, more and more people know that you're cool. It's like if you're a loser, and everyone knows you're a loser. Like, the only thing worse than being a loser is having everyone know that you're a loser. And like now I'm at that point, you know, not only am I at the bucket, bottom of the bucket, but the bottom of the bucket is being broadcasted. And I'm like, ooh. One million, 50,000 subscribers know this. We have, we have fun on Mogul. We have fun on Mogul. We just, we're just goofy. And like, I try to tell people too, like, I just don't want to be serious on the show. Like if we cover serious things, I just want to do it in the dumbest way possible. I just don't, don't want to get too pretentious and snooty about it. There's so much pretension. There's so much pretension in this industry sometimes. I just don't want to be a part of it, so, you know. Well, you definitely are not pretentious, Ted. We're our best, for sure. You never know, man. Five more years of this, and... Uh, well, we're going to keep be... doing this, so we're yeah, going to okay. just do a little time lapse yeah, of your see. progression as yeah. a person. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll just be more and more of a douchebag. <laughs> In <laughs> five years, it's going to be... Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't touch any lights unless they're LED. <laughs> this is the worst person in the world. Hey, let me just say right now, as a gear person, as a person that makes and sells gear, you don't need gear. 
I'm just gonna say it right now, all right? If you should hear it from anybody, hear it from me, okay? I'm literally in the business of you should want gear. But I'm telling you right now, focus on other things. You know, the gear is cool, it's exciting. If it makes you happy, go for it. But like, man, you don't need it. Go make stuff, you know? You can do it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's when I was first starting in filmmaking and we had all this low tech stuff. You know, you just tried to make do with what you had. You didn't have 4K. You had barely had HD. Yeah. You barely had shallowed up the field. Yep. And you just cobbled together whatever you could to get this look that looked like a movie. Yes, absolutely. And you're like, wow, I, I happened to make it look kind of like that Hollywood <laughs> thing. Cool. I'm so proud of myself. And that was such a triumph. Yeah. And now it's like... Well, what is it even now? Yeah. I remember when there was like film festivals. They were like film. They were like the movies and film festivals, and then there were the movies and film festivals that had lighting, and everyone was like, "Oh snap! They have lighting! Ooh, not fair! These guys got some lights! Oh my gosh, he, he actually has lights! He actually lit his movie!" I'm not gonna lie, man. Well, I, wish I just made a bunch of movies when people weren't lighting stuff. It'd be so much easier to make movies and have them be competitive, you know? Oh, there is a lot out there now. Yeah, now it's like the, the, the bar is so high. It is, and some you know, 15-year-old kid is just making some amazing-looking oh. stuff. It's the most discouraging thing <laughs> in the world. I try not to be too jaded about it because I love these kids, and if you're listening to this and you are 15, year old, 15 years old, and you're like sick at editing and you're sick at lighting, one, come apply for an internship at Aperture. <laughs> www.aperture.com slash internships. Two... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I was just saying, if you're out there and you're looking at this stuff, man, I try not to watch a lot of this content just because it's like depressing. It's too much, man. <laughs> These kids are too good. These kids are too good. And then they'll tell me that they watched videos that we made and that's how they got good. And I'm like, just feeding into the machine. That's a good thing. I'm actually really happy. I'm really happy when people come over and they're like, hey, I shot this because of this. And I'm like, that's amazing. It is amazing, and and you know we're we're producing a whole new generation of amazing artists. They've got the technique now. They just need the the heart. Yeah, you know. Cool. And once they have both those things, the heart and and also just not being lazy. Not oh, that's the real one. It's like, and no, no, heart's a big one actually. Just being honest and genuine and open about that stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, if I have to see another film about. No, I'm not gonna be. Not gonna, just like the most, like even like when people are real, you know, more genuine. Just tell your story. You don't have to tell someone else's story. Anyways, we're rambling about that. I think we have. I think we've got it all down. We've covered everything. I mean, this is the most expansive interview ever. Interview ever about all the things. Yes, everything, everything in life yeah. from beginning to end. Yes, and just, we'll we'll continue this next year. Yeah. So this interview is going to just be titled "Everything You Need to Know About Everything." Everything. <laughs> everything you need to know about everything. <laughs> okay, I think I'm just going to walk off the set now. Alright, see you guys later. Bye. Thanks for watching. <laughs> <laughs> www.com.abitureinternships.abitureinternships. <laughs> apply if you're 15 and really good. Well, don't apply right now. Apply when you're in college. Bye. Fabulous. Uh, that was terrific. That's Ted Sim of Aperture and Indie Mogul and our very own Keith Moreau uh, on Tech Moves continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019. Uh, looked very enjoyable. I really like Ted uh, quite. He comes off great. And uh, what a great interview that was. Oh, thanks much. Yeah, we were actually kind of exhausted at the end. It was like, 
What was that one of your later interviews of the day or something like that? Yeah, I think it might have been. I, you know, honestly, it's been so much, so long. I don't know. Right? Yeah. But um, exactly. I think it might have been one of the later ones. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, we're just like, oh, okay, I gotta go now. <laughs> but you know, it's great. I mean, it's like thirty plus minutes worth of uh, worth of gabbing and stuff like that, and uh, yeah. and it was uh, very entertaining and and really great. So, yeah, uh, terrific, fabulous. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you know, uh, Aperture, you know, they always have products. There's there's always something. What, what was your kind of main takeaway from uh, talking with Ted? Well, I think that the cool thing about TED and just Aperture in general, it's still kind of a small company. You know, they haven't gotten to that level of, I mean, they're very successful. I don't know what their market share is, but um, they're still pretty small, you know, small number of employees, small product line. Um, so they they haven't quite got to that next level of bureaucracy and and uh, slowness and politics, I think. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting. And then they, they just have, you know, a few great people like like Ted, I mean, I don't really know too many of the other people, but I'm sure they're all really excellent knowing him. Yeah. And you know that, and they, they're very, they're very responsive to customer feedback. You know, they, when, when people say, Hey, we've tried your lights and we think that this could be improved, you know, for example, um, the first, the first round of the, um, the LS like 120 and three 300s, they had a bunch of different power things that you had to connect together. Like you couldn't just plug one brick into the wall and then that re the other end into a light. There were like at least two bricks. Yeah. And the bricks are pretty big. Yeah. And it's just and it's and and the connectors are similar. Um and so it's there's always like a moment of okay, which brick is this? Where does this go? You know, which cable do I use? Just an extra you know, time doing that. And so I have so that's what I have on the 300D. That's the the huge super bright light. It's not huge, it's just very bright. Um, it's their biggest but brightest light. Uh, and then for the the two versions of the 120, and I have the two, the second version of the 120. I got that fairly recently. And then the new version of the 300, um, they've eliminated one of the bricks and just combined it all into one brick, so it makes it simpler. And so me just even setting up because I do use both lights pretty often, um, but sometimes I'll just choose the 120D too because I don't need that much light. It's a little bit smaller, and I only need one brick to power it. And I can also put batteries on it if I need to on that one brick. So it's just, it's just much simpler. And then the and then the handle on it tightens down a little bit more securely than the previous versions. So, just those two little improvements. You know, they're kind of simple, in a way. But simple improvements make a big difference. And they've done that throughout their whole line of lights. They just listen to people and produce stuff that's really good and fairly good deal. So. Tremendous. I mean, I like and, 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 and you know what? Let's not forget uh, what Ted also is involved with uh, his uh, actually YouTube channel for Indie Mogul. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, honestly, I haven't uh, seen too much of it. I've heard of uh -huh. it, but it does involve another one of my faves, uh, Griffin Hammond, who's a big Panasonic GH fan uh, and has done some terrific work with uh, actually doing some work for Panasonic. And uh, I think when they released, it was either the GH4 or GH5 uh, that he did a really great uh, uh, film uh, using the product. It's ter terrific. So we've got Ted, we've got Griffin and Eric Beck, 
who are your hosts of uh, the Indie Mogul uh, channel, and where they do a, a lot of great indie filmmaker type of stuff uh, on there. So uh, very much like a tech move, but, uh, you know, there, there, there's enough business to go all the way around. So, so we enjoy them, too. So thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the indie mogul thing. And, you know, this is, of course, the stuff I eat up, you know, listen to podcasts and and not just ours, although I do listen to ours a lot, too, over yes, and over. Um, of course. But, <laughs> but, yeah, and then now I'm starting to listen to YouTube stuff because there's so much. There's probably more cinematography and and filmmaking YouTube channels than then there are podcasts on it. I think just point. because it's more visual, right? So they yeah. can show you more stuff. It's more visual. I feel like they're a little bit superficial because they just have to kind of hit you with 10 minutes of stuff. Yep. And they, they don't go into too much depth. Yep. That's the drawback, you know? Like, if you have, like, two a, a two to three hour episode visually, then it starts becoming, like, War and Peace or, you know, some type of big budget, you know, in... Uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame on YouTube. Yep. And <laughs> and uh Gone with the Wind. Um whatever. Gone with the Wind of the Modern yes. Era. I like yes. to call it. But uh <laughs> Yeah. So 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 he you know, his his YouTube videos are not too long. But I've been actually just just in general, just when I exercise and stuff, like I go to the, the gym and then I put my iPhone on the YouTube yep. channel. And I have the YouTube premium that I pay for. Yeah, and I found that it's actually worth whatever twelve bucks a month or something, and you don't get the ads, and you can also listen to it without having it on that app. You can have it in the background. So there's two things that are cool about YouTube now, uh, premium. But you know, I just sit there and I'll listen to like three or four of my subscribed channels in one little session. You know, each one's maybe five, ten, fifteen minutes long at the most. And this one's one of them. It's one of my go-to, the indie, the new indie mogul YouTube channel. And in addition to that, they have they actually have a podcast. And in the podcast, it's just audio only, and they go for a longer, much longer time, like forty-five minutes to an hour sometimes. Yeah. So they kind of have best of both worlds. They have the shorter, you know, visually nice YouTube channel, but for shorter attention spans or time frames. And then they have the longer audio thing, and that makes sense because. Um, you know, when you're watching something, you have to give it your attention. You can't really have it in the background because you'd be missing things. Right. You can't be just listening to it usually. Um, so that's that's good for shorter form stuff. But then for things that you where you're kind of splitting your attention, like driving or operating power tools, pretty much anything really dangerous. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, listening to the longer podcasts, you can really get into them and then you know, hopefully not have an accident or cut your arm off. Yeah. And then, and then just pick it up as you go along, which is great. Yes. Yes. Oh, just I my just, arm. I just got to sew it back on a little later. It's fine. You, oh, it's great. And when you're in the emergency room too, you get your little headphones on listening to the podcast. Well, I think that, well, from, 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 from my data analytics, that's where most of our listeners are coming from. So that's, they've, that's they've been excellent. listening, falling asleep and then and, something's and, happened. And then they're rushed to the emergency room, which is fabulous. Well, that's no, that's great. Uh, so again, let's review. That is uh, Ted Sim from Aperture, who always encourages fifteen plus year olds who actually have some semblance of talent uh, for editing to go on the Aperture dot com slash internship uh, website. 
put in your applications now, of course, once you're in school. And uh, also, he also heads the, uh, or is part of the team uh, for the uh, Indie Mogul uh, YouTube channels and podcasts. So, uh, Ted Sim, uh, thank you very much for your time and efforts uh, that you contributed to us. Keith, thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, let's take another break as we continue on with our coverage of Cinegear 2019 right here on Tech Move. It's Tech Moves continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019. And uh, Keith, we have a fine, fine interview right now uh, from a company called Hive Lights. Um, or is it Hive Lighting? I think it's Hive Lighting. Yes. And uh, so, uh, 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 you know, what do they have to offer, Keith? I mean, you know, there are a lot of lighting companies out there. Hive is one of uh, of of many, I'm sure. But uh, what attracted you to uh, to visit their booth? Well, I've actually just heard their brand name a lot over the years, I mean, several years, maybe five years. Okay, <clears throat> and I think they were at one point they were very innovative. One of the few companies that um, that did LED, really high quality LED um, lighting. They mostly focus on rather than. Um, kind of like uh, wide uh, matte lights, you know, LEDs that are kind of spread over like a foot square area or larger. They focus more on like spot spot um, sources. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so kind of like more like the traditional lights that we used to use. You know, in the, in the past, of course, we used incandescent lights, you know, like tungsten or HMIs or things like that. So they're all point sources. They're not, they're not like a really wide light source like uh, a bunch of LEDs in a row. Um, right. So these were uh, Hive Lighting was one of the first companies that did this kind of LED spotlighting, and um, and now there's of course many competitors and Chinese knockoffs and other things like that. But they've still been at the forefront because um, they're just really high quality and their stuff just visually. You look at the design. You know, if you look at some of the photos of the Hive lights, um, you will find that. Uh, they're really beautiful looking lights, you know, just visually. They are you know. great. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are great looking. Uh, uh, kind of like um, uh, what, what they used to call it, like Canon style type of uh, of of lights. Very very yeah. nice. Very nice looking. Like very your good. your old traditional kind of uh, uh, studio lights in, in studio. It's kind of like RE or those, yep. but much more compact. Yep. and. And now they're just getting more sophisticated. They have the ability to do RGB controls and things like that. So they're just they've they're you know if you if I don't think they're the cheapest lights, but they're certainly not the most expensive either. So they're they're kind of right in the middle. They're really pro. They're easy to use. They're programmable now, so you can just dial in whatever RGB setting you want, um, which is great if you want to duplicate sets and 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 you have certain colors that you like. So yeah, so I went over and interviewed um, one of the. Uh, leaders of the company and uh, talked to him and it was really interesting. He used to be a cinematographer. I think he still is, but he just saw this need and he helped create the company along with a couple other people. So it was a good interview and I found out a lot about their lights. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, let's get to the interview right now. Uh, we have from Hive Lighting, uh, we have Jonathan Miller uh, that we were able to secure and uh, Keith was good enough to be able to uh, uh, 
grab some information from him. So here we are with Jonathan Miller of Hive Lighting and our very own Keith Moreau right here on Tech Move. Hi, Keith Moreau here with Tech Moose, Cinegear 2019. We're here with Jonathan of Hive Lighting, and Jonathan's going to show us some of his new products and talk a little bit about his company. Hi, yeah. So uh, we're here at Cinegear uh, at the Hive Lighting booth. And uh, for people who aren't necessarily familiar with Hive Lighting, what we're showing here today is our C-Series product line. So we call it our C-Series because it's color-changing LEDs. But something that we do that's a little bit different than most other color-changing LEDs is we only do hard light sources. So that means that we do light that's designed to throw and punch, be put into classic optics like Fresnels and parabolic reflectors, as well as Leco spots. But we don't do panels and we don't do strips. So that makes it a little bit unique in the LED game. Um, tell me a little bit about your company's history, how you started, you personally in the company, et cetera. Sure. So uh, I'm one of the co-founders here at Hive Lighting. Uh, my background is working on film sets, so I came up through both camera and lighting departments. I was a cinematographer for a long time before I started the company, but uh, I started at the very bottom. I was a parking PA before I was anything else. And um, the history of the company is we really saw an opportunity to add hard light uh, to energy, the energy efficiency changes we were seeing in lighting industry. So we started the company around a technology called Plasma that we're still very proud of and that we still sell quite a bit of. The Plasma technology is really designed around doing a hard light source that's a hard arc lamp that's very energy efficient. We've branched out into LEDs as well, but before we did, we really wanted to make sure that we could keep that hard light source that was core to what we do, as well as keep our efficiency levels up. But with our new Omnicolor LEDs, we're able to do full saturation control, full hue control, full white light color temperature, 1650 up to 8000 Kelvin, but again in a hard light source. And that's really what prompted us to create the C-Series, which is a very modular design. We really like to think of it as a Swiss army knife. You can bring it out to any set. It's very useful for any level of production. It's got a pro photo style mount, so you're able to add any kind of light modifier from the photo world as well as a unique hive mount that allows you to, again, add Fresnels, parabolic reflectors. And really, we like to think of it as a small sort of pocket HMI-style replacement, but with all the color-changing ability you associate with your panels and your tubes. That's great. Um, tell me a little bit about the principle behind hard light versus soft light. I know that, I mean, most people are trying to get this super soft, huge source, and in the past, just with regular incandescent lighting, everything was hard, right? So, so tell us a little bit about how somebody might use your lights comp compared to some other type of source. Sure. So we kind of have a joke at the company, uh, it's soft light for faces, hard light for spaces. And what we mean by that is really to cut and shape uh, area to really give definition and uh, to give uh, depth to a lot of your frame, it's really helpful to have light that you can direct very purposefully. And to do that, you really need a hard light source because you can cut and shape that light, you can throw it over a long distance, and what's nice about hard light is you can always modify it to be soft. You can't take a soft source and really modify it to be hard. And so we consider it a really modular system and a really uh, flexible system and a classic system. It's really where the history of lighting for our industry came from. Obviously, it's very nice to have a panel. It's very nice to have a strip. And they can do wonderful, beautiful lighting. But with our sources, not only can you have a Fresnel that you can direct, direct and sort of place into a pinpoint uh, area where you want to place light, you can always put that into a softbox and create a really beautiful soft source. Wow, that's awesome. Um, you want to talk a little bit about maybe this light here? Sure. So uh, here at the show, we're introducing uh, two products. We have our very small Bumblebee 25C. It's going to have all of the technology that I've described 
in a very small one pound form factor that starts at $350 and is usable through DMX and Bluetooth. So you have easy remote control on it. And it's a very nice, fully color changing source uh, that we're really excited about. The other unit that we're showing here at Cinegear that people are very excited about is the, other, is the opposite end of our spectrum. So we go from a 25C to a 50C to a 100C to a 200C, and now we're introducing our 575C. We're very excited about it. It's gonna be the equivalent output of a 575 watt HMI. So it's gonna sit right between your sort of 400 and 800 watt, either Joker or Pocket Par style light. It's able to go into Fresnel. It's able to go into a wide variety of modifiers in the pro photo world. It's able to go into a nice punchy par spot, and it really throws, and it has a really great tool for just about any lighting scenario. Giving you sort of sense of pricing, obviously, the less light output, the less expensive the unit is. Our 575 is gonna be around $5,000. Our 200C is $2,500. Our 100C is $1,250. Our 50C is $750. And our 25C is $350. So we'd like to think of it as pretty logical progression and a tool for any level of production, any level of budget, but also something that you can either rent or own depending on your needs for your production. That's awesome. So is this the, the big one here? Yeah, so right here we have, uh, and I'll lift it up a little bit. This is our 575. This is the biggest light. It's not that big. It's about five and a half pounds. Uh, as you can see here, it's about nine inches long. Uh, what we have here is our dome diffuser. This really acts as our bulb source. So underneath this source, we have over, we've just under 200 LEDs. And uh, these 200 LEDs are divided into seven different colors. We do red, green, and blue. But then on top of that, we do our secondary colors. So we also do a lime, an amber, and a cyan. And then on top of that, we also have a deep blue violet that we call sapphire. This gives us a really full spectrum light that also has a huge amount of control. We're able to do any saturated color you want, but also we're able to do 1650 to 8000 Kelvin down to one Kelvin degree of differentiation if you need it. Uh, along with that, we have what's called near-fill blending. Without getting too complicated, it basically means that... We don't mind getting complicated because we're really geeky, so go for it. So as soon as the light leaves this, this emitter, this acts like a bulb, it's all pre-blended. You don't have to get any distance away. You immediately have the color you want, and your shadow is always going to be clean in a single color. You're not going to see the fringing. You're not going to see the individual LEDs. That is often a problem when you work with a multi-LED source, especially when you're trying to do a hard light. Uh, it also allows for the flexibility that allows us to mount different things on the light, so we can mount so many different optics. It really gives you just very modular system, which again kind of goes back to our, our line about it being a Swiss Army knife. It's not necessarily a tool that you uh, know what you're going to use it for when you bring it on set, but as long as you have a couple different modifiers, it's pretty much useful in any lighting situation. Tell me a little bit about this blending technology. Sure. So uh, on our board, we have the uh, seven different colors of chips that I described. They're split between almost 200 different uh, colors relatively evenly. They're then laid out in a pattern so that they blend. They then go into what's called a mixing chamber, which is basically just a 360-degree mirrored uh, um, chamber that allows all the LEDs to blend uh, across each other, then into the dome that does the final blending. And what you get out is one singular white light source where you cannot see that it was actually made of multiple LEDs. It's really a reverse prism system, if you want to think about it that way, which is we put colored light in and get white light out. That's great. Okay, so one of the trends that I've seen in the last couple of years is rather than um, kind of a single temperature light source, we have something called RGB light sources. And can you tell us a little bit about that technology? I assume this is considered an RGB light. Um, tell us a little bit about the differences between RGB and a single color temperature source and how that's an advantage over that. Sure. So uh, there's a few different things going on there. So um, 
historically, RGB was the first way to mix LEDs to create white light. But when you have just a single band R, a single band green, and a single band blue, you often have what you consider sort of holes, a discontinuous uh, full spectrum source. And so you don't actually have a full spectrum source, you have a discontinuous source where it appears to be white light, but there's actually quite a bit of the visible spectrum missing. Uh, the next step in sort of evolution with LEDs was then to do single white light chips that have a broader, fuller spectrum. But again, LEDs by their nature really are designed to be limited spectrum source. And so what we've done here is try and stack enough limited spectrum sources together that we've really got all the colors of the rainbow. So when we create our white light, you have a full spectrum source. So you take multiple discontinuous sources, bring them together, and that actually gives you a full spectrum source. The other thing it gives you is a great deal of control. So while you can get quite a bit of light out of a single white light source, there's very little adjustability on it. Here you have a very broad white light spectrum. It means you can match any kind of, any kind of lighting scenario, whether that's interior lighting or exterior lighting. But on top of that, you can also match unique scenarios where you have a blend of both. You have multiple different sources, especially in this day and age when you're shooting on location. You don't necessarily have control over all the light sources that are in your area. And to be able to match to any one of them because you have the ability to tune your light to the scenario is a really powerful tool. So, so you're from the days where you were putting gels on top of single, like some type of uh, incandescent light. So give me a kind of an analogy between the old days and then now using your light. Sure. I mean, I think what you're seeing right now is the digitization of the last part of filmmaking to move away from analog. So if you think about sort of the history of the last 25 to 30 years of film and television production, it's really been the move from an analog system to a digital system. Obviously, we saw that with the post-production system. I mean, we even saw it with the screenwriting, you know, word processing, no longer on a typewriter. So uh, we've gone you know, through the post-production revolution where editing became digital. We've gone through the camera revolution where, where the recording of the image went from film to digital. And now what we're really seeing is the move for lighting going from the analog system, which is to take an incandescent uh, source, which is quite literally... Uh, a small fire <laughs> and then cutting that spectral output with a very analog system which is a color dyed piece of plastic historically gel uh, and uh, now moved into a, a scenario where we have full control over these things because we're doing it in a digital method where it's really about the algorithms that blend the color together and then the control systems that allow us to have access to each of those individual LEDs to create the color we want. So it's really that, you know, we're in that moment of inflection where we've seen the, the final digitization of uh, a portion of our industry. So in the past, you might uh, have your incandescent source and you put some type of CTO or CTB or some type of gel in front of it. And now all you need to do is dial it in? Exactly. Wow, that's pretty awesome. It is, uh, it's an exciting time to be involved in lighting. Obviously, it also makes it a uh, challenging time for a lot of filmmakers because there's so many new technologies, there's so many new sources, there's so many new manufacturers that it, it can be hard to decide what's better and what's best. And really, I think the key for any filmmaker is to, again, always think about what is the story I'm trying to tell and what are the tools I need to tell that story. There isn't really a best uh, answer to any one of these. It's not that any one of the LEDs you're going to see at a show like this are bad or good. It's the right tool for the job. And so we hope that we've made a very flexible modular tool that will, that will solve a lot of problems for a filmmaker, but we fully expect them to also want to use tools from all of the other manufacturers here at the show. And so I think it's an exciting time to be a customer, even if it is a little bit challenging to uh, sort your way through all of the different options. Um, you mentioned that your light, uh, the cost of your lights goes from fairly high-end to pretty, pretty affordable. Tell me the difference in, in 
just other than lumens output, what the differences might be? So actually, outside of uh, the output and the physical form factor, there's very little difference. We have all the color control in all of our fixtures. So if you're looking for the high-end color control we're describing, but you don't have a price point to spend $5,000 on a light, which is fair enough. Uh, that's pretty reasonable, but you do have maybe $350, you can get all of the color control I'm describing in my highest end light in my smallest, most affordable, and most compact fixture. Do we have an example of the really compact one here? Uh, yes, it's at the other end of the booth, though. <laughs> can, we, can we pick it up and bring it over, or can we film it? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's go get it. I'll, cool. I'll edit this in. Okay. This is our Bumblebee uh, 25C. Uh, as you can see, it's got uh, a dome diffuser as well, obviously smaller but also a much smaller fixture. This starts at around $350, and uh, it has full color control, it has full DMX control, and it is controllable by a Bluetooth app, either on Android or iOS, so you can control it remotely with your phone. And it has all the same RGB tuning? Exactly, so all the same RGB, it has the same white light range, so all the control that you associate with uh, what I just described for our brand new biggest light is all built into here. Wow, um, and then power sources? So it's powered off of either battery or off of a small 25-watt AC to DC converter that will run anywhere in the world from 90 volts to 277 volts. Do you have standard uh, battery connectors, or is it something that... It's, a little, it's, a little, uh, it's a pretty standard DC jack, and then it can adapt to uh, a wide variety of batteries. Would that be something that would be externally mounted or something you'd mount to the light? So it would be externally mounted, although we do have a variety of different mounting points, uh, quarter 20s, and we also have a custom uh, bracket system that we do for our yokes. So there's a wide variety of ways to mount it to the head if you want to. That's pretty cool. Well, this is really uh, fascinating. Now, you, you said that you used to be a DP. Yes. Are you still a DP? Uh, I'm a recovering cinematographer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I did work for the, you know, we, the company is now actually eight years old. Uh, for the first sort of five years, I continued to work on sets uh, in the last few years uh, just because of the amount of product that we're trying to bring out. Uh, I'm rarely on set, although uh, when I do get a chance, I, st I still try and get out in the field, try some other people's products and uh, see, see how my own hold up. And what have you found out? Um, a couple things, actually. You know, it's really interesting. When you go into a film set, a lot of things that sometimes for a manufacturer might seem obvious can be a challenge. And really, I think the thing that we always try and remind ourselves is that no matter what feature we offer, we have to think about how quickly can it be accessed. On a film set, especially with an indie production, especially where there's a time crunch with just about every single production I've ever been on, um, you really have to take into account, even if this is great, how long does it take me to use it? Right? And so one of the things that we're always trying to challenge ourselves is to make it easy and quickly accessible and with a very low uh, learning curve to be able to get the most value out of the product. So that's something we always try and focus on. That's awesome. Well, we could talk, I'm sure, a lot longer, but I know you're busy. You have a busy booth here. Cinegear 2019 is a pretty packed place. Um, how's your show been so far? Uh, it's been great. I mean, just a really positive reaction. It's really a, a great show for us. Uh, we're an LA-based company, so this is our hometown show. So it's really great to see a lot of our friends, a lot of our customers, a lot of our uh, colleagues in the field here. And uh, yeah, we, we love this show. So if anyone ever hasn't been to Cinegear before, we really recommend it. We'll be here every year. So next year, if you didn't make it this year, uh, please come find us at the Hive booth at Cinegear 2020. We'll be here. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. This is Keith Monroe signing off for Cinegear 2019. That's Keith Moreau and Jonathan Miller of Hive Lighting. Very nice looking uh, products uh, he's got there. So I encourage everyone to go to the um, TechMove webpage and check out some of these videos. 
because uh, hearing about it is great, but I, we know that a lot of you folks out in uh, Tech Move land want to actually see what we're talking about. So you could do that on the techmovepodcast.com page and see these uh, uh, these videos uh, online. Keith, uh, what did you think of the lighting? Oh, I just I think it's if if you if money is no object, um, I would get these lights. They're very sophisticated. They have a lot of control. Um, you know, I see them as kind of like a Swiss army knife of, of single point lighting. Um, they've got five and seven color chips in them, so they really can create almost any color you want. So they're very accurate and they have a lot of controls on them to adjust things. You know, if you look at the back, you can see a whole bunch of type of connections, um, on the back, you know, a couple power connections, um, adjustments, selections, kind of got like a little a little control screen on it where you can select colors and and luminances and just dial in whatever you want including I believe uh, presets if you want so if you have a preset you like you can save it and then later you can recall it so very sophisticated there's even an app that that comes with it via Bluetooth so these these lights are really connected I mean they're potentially able to be controlled by your phone so um, yeah, and this is the trend I'm seeing with lighting. It's the, lighting is getting more intelligent now. So you can, like with a remote or with your phone, you can actually adjust your lighting. And that's to me, me personally, I I've used that type of lighting for a, I've used some aperture lights in that regard for um, controlling things remotely. And it's actually really convenient. So you don't have to actually go over to the light and change it. You can actually adjust it um, remotely with the remotes or with your phone. So. That kind of that kind of thing is is starting to become more and more prevalent in the industry, and I, I like that. It it makes it a lot easier, and and one man bands or smaller crews can do a lot more. I like the um I I really love the different sizes of of these lights that they have. They have you know, and they name them after like you know little bees or hornets or wasps or whatever. Yeah, and do you think there's a do you think there's a, a theme going on, or do you think it's just random? I well, you know, with the with the name Hive, I I, I you know I'm wondering, uh, you know, where the uh, uh, what what other uh, insects they could possibly do. So that could be very interesting for the next series of lighting that they put out. Yeah, so. I think maybe they'll 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 have exhausted all the the things with stingers. <laughs> I, I I I do, however, really love the look and the size of the Bumblebee twenty five. I think that that looks really good, and um, and that's actually not that expensive. I think it's one hundred and fifty bucks or something. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty inexpensive. It's, and it, it's and a it really, looks great. Yeah, it looks great. It's super portable, really inexpensive. It's not. I don't know if it has all the you know controls capabilities. Right. I think it's. I think it's got some. I think it's still got some of the sophistication. Sure. Um, it's got 25. It's It, it takes t- the, the, the numbers are the how many watts they right. draw. Right. So it's the, but it's still pretty bright. It's the equivalent of 150 watts so, of incandescent lighting. And the CRI is pretty high. It's up there, 98. Um, it's got DM- DMX and it's got DMX and smart co- car, uh, smartphone control. Yep. DMX and smart smartphone control. Yep. And, um, so it's you know it's it's great if you just want a little accent light and you want to control the color or just put something like put a bunch of these say in the background and then actually control it with your phone and gang them all together it's this stuff is amazing 
Yeah. No, fantastic. So, fantastic. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks to Jonathan Miller again from Hive Lighting. And Keith, mm-hmm. thank you very much uh, for another uh, terrific get on this. Yep. That's Hive Lighting, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we continue our coverage of Cinegear. And uh, Keith, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll uh, give a we'll present another interview uh, for our fine listeners out there. Uh, so stay tuned, everyone. You're still listening to Tech Move. On our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019, it is Tech Move, Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And Keith was able to secure our fine friends over at Zacuto. And uh, Zacuto has been on the show uh, a, a few times before. And uh, Keith was able to get Steve Weiss and his business partner, uh, Jens, whose last name I'm going to butcher, but it's Bogenhing. Uh, I, I think know. it's Bogahen. Bogahen. Yeah. I, Jens, I apologize to you, but I'm trying my best with a third grade education it's very <laughs> difficult so uh but anyway so the fine folks at zacuto keith what were you looking for uh anything in uh in detail that you were looking for from zacuto uh, this year um you know the they they have zacuto has amazing gear amazingly engineered gear it's really it's very useful it's very much cinematography based and it's very well made and designed um i have a bunch of zakuta gear i most of the zakuta gear i got it's, you know it's fairly old i got they were one of the first they companies last that, forever. that's why they last yeah they last forever and also um they were one of the first companies that really did make dslr accessories that could make your dslr more f- more useful yep um in a film filmmaking situation um so i I was one of the early adopters you know like the z finders really famous the evfs they have are famous and they still are the evfs are some of the best that they offer i have those yeah um a bunch of different kinds of arms and and you know they're just they're just really um advanced and and they kind of like trendsetters and then they and then they get a bunch of people copying them but they are the original in a lot of cases. Um, I just went over to their booth because um, it looked like they were <clears throat> available. I really wanted to focus on the Blackmagic uh, Pocket Camera 4K. Yes. Um, accessories they have. They just came out with a really nice cage. And, of course, probably one of the best cages because it, they're really thought through. You know, filmmakers designing filmmaking products. Yeah, and they have so much experience, too. Let's not forget that. I mean, they've just been in it for so long. Yeah. They, I think they also had a rental business, which I don't think they have anymore. But I think also in the rental business, you get a lot of feedback from filmmakers and and people like that. You get a lot of feedback from filmmakers um, and people that are renting gear. So, um, so I think that, um, and it had it had been actually a year or two since we'd actually interviewed them. So I figured, ah, go back, talk about the the cage, talk about some of their other stuff, and it turned out to be a like a pretty cool interview. And so. I'll, Maybe on the outro, I'll, I'll talk more about it. Fantastic. Okay, let's yeah. talk to uh, Steve and Jens uh, from Zacuto, along with our very own Keith Moreau, as we continue our interview segments of Cinegear 2019 right here on Tech Move. Here's Zacuto. Steve is a founder of Zacuto. Founder, product designer, director of 
all of our content. I love your stuff. I have a bunch of your stuff. I've bought it. I think I first started getting your stuff over 10 years ago. And I love it. Um, what do I have? I mean, I have so much stuff. But you tell me about your new stuff and what you're excited about. All right. So uh, a lot of people have been asking us for a new EVF. And this is sort of our thing, you know, optical devices, EVFs. So here you see this is our Gradical, which we've had for three or four years now. But some people wanted a higher res one, which is our, this Chameleon, which is now, this was a 720p unit. This is a 1080 unit. Uh, we've sort of learned that in this, when you know uh, the display is about the size of your thumbnail and you're not really, you, your magnification isn't so great that you're not really going to notice much, much resolution difference between the two. But what you do have is this has an HDMI and an SDI in. It can take a 4K signal in, which is kind of nice, and it has 3D LUTs. But then again, this one has other features that are kind of nice, where this you view the image in a full 16 by 9 with overlaid uh, tech information. This one is 16 by 9, but all the tech info is on the bottom. Now, some Zakudo users love that, you know, and 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 it's great, and it's why we made this unit the way it is. But we have two options for different types of users. No, I actually have the Gradical HD, I think. HD, yep. Is that still out? Yeah, sure. The Gradical HD is essentially the same as the Gradical I. It's just that it, ha it, it gives you the features of being able to have a battery, and it gives you HDMI and SDI in and out, so it's a larger unit. Here it is. Thank you. And... Uh, it also is really cool. I mean, like if you're going to be doing, uh, if you're doing a, a major feature and you need to send like different types of outputs to, or a commercial to the producer's tent, this thing can create LUTs and have one LUT you see in here, one LUT you send out differently. So they all have a, a certain purpose. Um, okay. A couple other things I want to show you real quick. Our trigger grips, these are very popular now. I mean, look at that. You can just adjust that thing. You can also adjust it here like that. But, I mean, you, this way you can put it on the ground. That was a thing that's been bugging us forever, is that you can never put these rigs on the ground. Um, here you have our Z... You still rolling? Here you have our Z drive with the Tornado. This is one of the most popular products we ever made. It's a, it gives you the ability to have a hand grip that actually focuses the camera mechanically. You can't beat that. Um, okay, let's take a look at this Black Magic Cage. This is a pretty hot camera, obviously, uh, but now it's certainly much easier to use. Look at how I can just like kind of let it hang. I can hold it. I can really hunker down and get a good shot like this. I got a top handle, S by S card reader on top. And this is a, uh, what's nice here, this is a new thing that we're making, our, our Polaris system. So this can snap, this is basically Arca Swiss or really right stuff. It's not basically, it is. Okay, but it's what we call Polaris. It's our version of it. So this can go right onto a tripod, or if you want to add rods, you just do that, and now you got rods, and then that can go on a tripod. Want to add a shoulder pad, put one on here, this baby can go up on your shoulder. So that's pretty much the new stuff we have here. What are some of the features of this? We got to get our bike in there. The bike? Okay, we got the new Zakuda bike here. The Zakuda Look at this thing, 750 watt battery inside this tank. 
motor in the hub. This thing is fun. Has absolutely nothing to do with the film business. People are like, where do you mount the cameras? You don't. You gotta have fun too, right? It's amazing. You ride this thing, you'll want this thing. It is so fun. But yeah, we're making other products now. We're making an automotive product, medical products. Wow. Yeah. We, what automotive products? Okay, I don't know that I want to give it out, but it's a thing, it's a special horn for your car that's like the nice horn. And you can install it super fast, and it's like if somebody's on their phone or something, and you push it, it's not like you want to get out of your car and beat them up. It's just a really nice little, it has different kinds of sounds so you can program in it, but we call it a courtesy horn. You heard it here first, courtesy horn. Yeah. May you please? anybody about the courtesy horn yet, so you might want to keep that on the down low. We're going to keep that on the down low. Nobody's going to be watching this podcast, but it's going to sound a little bit like this. Excuse me, sir. Could you please move out of the way? It's exactly what it is. It's like you're a Taco Bell, and it's like, I need you to move up, but I'm not going to hit my horn. It's the nice horn. This is awesome. Okay. So where's that? I want to talk more about, can we talk more about a little, the, a little more stuff? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's get the cage back. edit this too. Oh, we have these. Might as, might as well cover it all. What? Might as well cover it all. God damn it, I can't see with my without my reading glasses. This is horrible. Okay. Ready? Are we rolling? Yes. Okay. Uh, I like her. She's the best cameraman. She's just like, yeah, sure, whatever, go on. <laughs> rolling, not rolling, who cares? Uh, well, this is our VCT. This is, you know, our hottest selling product, I guess, next to our EVFs. But uh, this is the basis of, you know, mounting any camera. And this is a new product that we created called Shorty Grips. And we actually have a version that's, that has 19 ants and 15 mil rods. Uh, but what's great about this is, you know, boom, set it right on the ground, flat like that. I plop it on my shoulder seconds i mean the old grips used to have to undo levers a lot of people's rosetted things you got a rosette here you got a rosette here it's just how do you go through all these rosettes so jens and i were like how do we make something where we can just literally do it that fast and put it on the ground how does that work okay good question there's a series of ramps and belleville washers in here and if you look there's like two rosettes but when i push this the ramp splits them apart and then you can adjust this and then when you let go, the ramp, you're not on the ramp anymore. It's kind of interesting. You know, this whole engineering thing, we were filmmakers long before this. But now we're sort of like kind of engineers and we like it. It's, it's, you know, sometimes we come up with ideas and our engineers are like, whoa, I didn't think of that. And then sometimes they come up with ideas. And we're like, but we have to learn about all these components and tooling and all this kind of stuff. Over the last 10 years, we've learned a lot. That's awesome. Speaking of filmmaking, I've been watching some some of the stuff you have on YouTube. Um, it's great stuff. What's what inspires you to do this? I mean, you don't really have to do this. So what's what's the purpose behind them? Well, that's a good question. You might have stumped me on that. Uh, you have time to think. The thing is, is that so like prior to so from Jens has been my DP since 1984. Uh, and we made about 700 projects in the corporate space, commercials. And then we took a little hiatus and then we started Zacuto. 
And then we kind of had this eight year span where we hadn't really made anything. And that's when we came back and we started with film fellas and critics and all these different shows that we had done because that's what we really love doing, you know, and it's just when you don't do it, it doesn't feel good, you know. So now we're doing live, uh, live shows on Facebook and stuff. And we really enjoyed, you know, designing and building all the, we have three different sets in our studio. And that was a whole lot of fun working with scenic team and artists and all these people. And now it's great. We, we show up, but you know, we can create content instantly. And, and there's only one person, there's six cameras on set. There are people coming in on Skype. One person switches the whole show. That's amazing. Camera operators. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Technology. I know. And we're doing this on an iPad. I love it. So you're getting a bit of your artistic mm, impulses out by doing the show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm also working on other projects. I don't really talk about them. But, I mean, we, Jens and I shot a TV pilot last year, uh, which was really cool and fun. Uh, we're doing documentaries now and then. We sometimes go on other people's features and, and TV shows when they need to do really small rigs and things. We help them out there. So we're doing other types of content. That we, that, that's not film related. Can you talk about any of the artistic stuff you've been doing? Well, the one show that I did is pretty racy. Uh, <laughs> let's right, we could pull match, but the it's it's like Friends, but a modern version where sexuality is fluid. We'll say you know, so everybody is. It's it's interesting. <laughs> and when and where will this be showing? I don't know. We're we're going to be getting a producer's rep. We we wrapped it about a year ago, and it's been in post. We got a version we kind of like now, so we're going to be. Uh, we met with the producer's rep, and we're probably going to get on the distribution trail with it. But I'm kind of hoping for like an Amazon type release, something like that. Wow, that's that's great. Well, I'm really glad that you're still still pursuing the artistic stuff. You have an amazing. Look at his IMDb if you want to find out about about this guy. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we could talk for a while. Let's... Well, I think, I think he's... Can we grab this again? Can, he, can, can Steve talk about this a little bit more? Thank you. Can you talk about this, uh, some of the features? About this. Jens. Can Jens talk about it? Introduce Jens here. This is my business partner and friend. We've been working together for 37 years. 37 years. Yeah, right. So I, I was kind of talking about this, but this is really his baby. Sometimes there are things that are his. Sometimes there are things that are sort of mine. But really, this is his. So right, you so, got to talk about this. All right, this. but where did, where did you leave off? I don't know. I kind of was What was your question? Just uh, details. All right, well, this is for the, uh, yeah, the, the Blackmagic Pocket Camera, their new cinema pocket camera, and we built a cage for it. Uh, there's certain features about these cages that we do differently than everybody else and you can see it in this one is we don't like to cover up this side of the camera because they've already designed a grip that's meant for your hand you know so so why cover that up and it's just less it's it's less bulk to have uh, you know to have it this way uh, some of the other features that we um, always put in our cages is this uh, NATO rail we call it Z rail so that you can uh, you know attach these uh, grips on the side and on top Right. Uh, one thing we worked hard on for this camera, especially because it's so wide, is if you put the shoulder pad on you and you 
put it on your shoulder, you can't have all these cables sticking out into your ears. So we worked hard at making this as flat as possible. Uh, we use the right angles that come with the cage, and it pinches them so that they don't move. Uh, that was another big thing. And of course, this camera, it's popular to have the, uh, the SSD drive up there. And we have a special dedicated clamp for that where none of the cables can come out. Um, other than that, everything below the cage is like all our other cages. This is you know the rod support that gets you the standard 85 millimeters from the you know center of the rods to the center of the lens for map boxes and uh, supporting your follow focuses. Uh, did you talk about the Polaris system? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, so this is all part of the Polaris system. That's part of the cage on the bottom, so that you don't need an extra plate. Is he standardized on Arca Swiss? It is, yeah. Arca Swiss, really right stuff, all those are compatible. Yeah, and it's got a new mechanism which Jens came up with, which I really like. It's kind of, you just pull this and it pops right off. Uh, it's not like a, a, a cam lock or, you know, something that's in the back that's hard to get to. And then you can just literally see that the Arca Swiss is built into this. So you can just plop that baby down on any Arca Swiss or really right stuff, Kessler, any plate you have. Yet it has screw holes on the bottom in case you have a different plate system you want to use. You can screw it onto the bottom there. How long does a cage like this take to implement? You mean to de oh, develop? That's a great question, yeah. Uh, some longer than others because uh, you have to go back and forth. Now, if they give us drawings you know, ahead of time, it's a lot quicker. If I have to scan it in, there's a little bit more of the 3D printing that we have to go back and forth and kind of try it out eventually some metal prototypes to see if it all actually fits because the scan is not quite as accurate as but, having but that's a great question so yeah. like just so people know to develop an, EB, an EVF is probably I don't, I'm gonna, I don't think this is bad to say but you could be looking at about a half a million dollars in R&D and about two years to develop an EVF to develop like a, sometimes metal products can be just as complicated you know, like those those uh, uh, Z grips that I was showing you, uh, trigger grips, uh, very complex to get that to where it was super strong, uh, and yet you not have to have intense amount of thumb pressure to make it happen. So that product took us a year to develop, I think. This cage, though, only took you about three, four months to develop. Yeah, this one was a little longer than others because it had different set of issues. You know, each camera has its own quirks. You know, it starts with drawings, then you go, like he said, to, to uh, 3D, uh, 3D printing, and then metal prototypes, uh, aluminum, you know, and, and then you do what's called a short run, where we do like 25 and we kind of send them out to friends and whatnot, beat them, get up. Some, beat them up, get some feedback, and then we do a real run. So this case, so did you have drawings of this camera before it came out, or is it based on an early camera? Uh, this camera, I believe we had to scan in. Um, there's a bunch of cameras we did now. Some they gave us drawings for, some companies don't. So and I'm trying to remember, I think that one was scanned. So that's why this one took a little longer as well. It's a great product. Um, I probably, I actually have a couple of these, among all these other cinema cameras. So. Not your cage. Not your cage. Soon, hopefully. Because your cage just recently came out, didn't yes, it? It did, right. But I love it. I love the design and the modularity, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I've been, a, as I was telling Steve, I've been a customer for over a decade of your stuff. Cool, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, the original Z Finders. Oh, I would recommend that you create a Z Finder for the pocket. Yeah, we've heard that request. Yeah. There's a couple of issues with that. It would be quite large. 
Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> uh, since the screen is so large, uh, with optics, you know, simple optics like we have in our other Z finders, uh, it would end up being pretty big. Now, some people that don't care, other people think that's ridiculous and enormous. You know what I mean? Then the other issue is that it would be you would need to be able to flip it open so that you could get to the you know the touch screen and all that. So we've thought about it. We've been asked to do it. Uh, or maybe somehow adapt one of your existing Z finders with a some type of frame that it fit into so you could use an old Z finder and pop it in, something like that. that that's another thing we looked at and we asked Blackmagic if they could add a feature in here where you could shrink the screen size a little bit, just literally make it a little bit smaller and then people who already have Z finders could use it right on the back. You know, it's obviously going to, the resolution is going to change a little bit but it'll be still fine for, you know, focus and, and framing and things like that but they haven't responded to that yet so. Well, I'll just tell you that I, you know, I, I get a lot of gear when it first comes out just to just to be useful. And I got um, another company's um, loop. It's like the only one that's out there, so you know which one it is. Um, Brazil or something like that? Yeah, from Brazil. Yeah. And it's it's okay. It doesn't have a diopter. I mean, it has a, a fixed uh, magnifier. Right. But it doesn't have an adjustable diopter. Right. No, I saw that. And isn't it quite long? Yeah. It's not bad, but is it distorted at all? It's actually very useful. I should actually, do you have it here? I wouldn't mind seeing it. I should have brought it. I didn't bring any pro gear with me. Right, okay. But we, I can send you pictures and stuff if you're interested. Yeah, it's a thought. I mean, uh, I guess if we hit a certain threshold of people asking, we'll do it. You know, that's we're, we're in the business to, to do stuff like that if it's needed. I just think that um, you got this cage now, and, and honestly, especially when you're outside, it's really difficult to use this as an actual LCD when it's useful. So what do you think about this? I mean, you're, you're a younger guy. Your eyes are probably fine. If you I'm not that young. hood on here, can't you focus it from here? I can't anymore. My eyes are not that good. No, okay. Because that was the other thing we considered is that we figured that most people are a little younger. They could probably see focus this close, and then with a shade, they would be fine. There's another issue, which is stability. Uh, I use uh, I use the... I use the point of contact, and that makes it really stable. Got it. Yeah, understood. All right. Well, I will think. You know, think more about it. Uh, the more I hear people requesting it, the more it makes me want to do it. I would love to. And maybe in the interim, some type of adapter that would stick out, and then you could put an old Z finder in there. Yeah. Yeah, that... that uh, uh, why? Because you have old Z finders? I have five of them. And what, what magnification? I have all different kinds. Yeah. Uh, it would have to be the widest one to be able to see most of it and that would require a new skirt you know the the, the, the shroud so I don't, I don't know that you could use it anyway because I was thinking of 3D printing a, a cowl yeah you could <laughs> you could anyway alright I'll take that under advisement you heard it here new products being developed as we speak anyway Jens thanks so much I don't think I've actually spoken to you my name's Keith Moreau nice to meet you coming by I've all right, that's Zacuto, Steven Yens uh, from Zacuto, and our very own Keith Moreau right here on Tech Move in Cinegear 2019. Uh, very in-depth interview, Keith. Uh, almost 20 minutes long, for crying out loud. That was a good one. Yeah, they, they showed us everything. Uh, they tag-teamed. They tag yep. It started with Steve, um, who's the more marketing... Uh, guy a little more uh, extroverted and then with Jens who actually I actually had never met Jens before 
because he's I don't usually see him at the shows. Uh, I'm not sure if he's there or not or just doing other things, but he was there and he's really nice. He's a really great guy. Yeah. A little bit, little bit quieter than Steve, a little, little more modest, but right. uh, very, very great guy and really technical. He's the, he's like the designer guy. He's like the, the engineering brains behind a lot of this stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, so Jens took over and showed me the rest of his, rest of the gear. And I even t- gave him some ideas about, um, a, uh, a, uh, a loop for the black magic pocket oh right 4k yeah yep. and i because because they're kind of going yeah we think it's not going to work because the screen's too big right and i said hey i got one of your competitors loops um and they don't even have one i said yeah i have it and it, i actually use it a lot it just doesn't have an adjustable adapter but i've even been thinking about um actually modifying one of your z finders to make it work right it's way way better than the other one that i got um and so it, we actually, you know, had a little discussion about it, and he was really fascinated. Like, hmm, maybe maybe we should reconsider making this. I said, if you made one, you'd sell a lot. Because the Blackmagic Pocket 4K is probably, you know, hands down the biggest seller out of all these cinema cameras, like, ever. Sure. I mean, you know, and it's still being, it's still really popular. So, <clears throat> you know, just stuff like that. And he just went over things here and there, and it was great. Um, I have to mention that one of the, like, one of the reasons that we stand out, you know, Tech Move stands out, from all the different people that are interviewing them and stuff is because of our our crappy little iPad. <laughs> 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 because nobody else does that. And there's so many huge companies that go, what is that? Oh, we're just filming it on an iPad. And they just, that's just so great, you know? And, and we get this crowd around us and they're watching Veronica and like trying to bug her while right. she's filming about how it works. And it's so this is another example. The Zakuto guys who make all the cinematography gear were fascinated and, 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 and really intrigued by this iPad setup we're using. <laughs> so it's now the, we can't. It's the tech of tech move, really. It, it is. And we can't, now we can't switch to a better system. Because that's like our trademark. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, could it be that's like one of the only reasons why we get interviews in the first place? So, that's great. Prob- probably. Yeah, that's excellent. But, yeah, but they even, um, and I think I can mention that, but they, they told us about a secret project, which was their Zakuto battery systems. Like, oh. not not like batteries for cameras, like batteries for, for, uh, motorcycles and cameras and oh, uh, no not kidding. cameras in really? houses. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's they're getting into a different business. So, mm. so I thought that branching was out. Yeah, they showed me like I think it was an electric bicycle, electric motorcycle that they were designing. Excellent. So yeah, so there's anyway that's well, going to be oh, that, that'll be for NAB 2020 Cinegear 2020, right? So uh, either that or the auto show. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> the, the international auto show coming up pretty soon too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a great interview. I love those guys, and that that led to other things because now I'm one of their I'm one of their go to interviewees on their Zakuto Live. So overall, it's just a really good situation. Really Fabulous. Good, really good meeting. Yeah. Fabulous. All right, Steve and Jens from Zakuto, Keith and Rod here over at Tech Move. Thank you very much uh, for for that, Keith. And uh, we're gonna take a break and come right back with more of Cinegear 2019 right here on Tech Move. We're back from our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2019, and that kind of wraps up, ladies and gentlemen, our interview segment. So uh, here's kind of our final summation of Cinegear. 
Keith, uh, you know, I, I know Cinegear not only has all these vendors around and stuff like that, but they also offer some sort of like uh, breakout classes and stuff like that. And like, uh, I don't know, showcases or whatever. Isn't that true? They, they offer stuff like that, don't they? Yeah, they have a lot of presentations and seminars. Some of them are like by the vendors where they just show off their camera and unveil things and things like that. But um, but they also just have some general uh, kind of like public surface thing, service things. And the one that I always um, try to go to is the Cinematographer's Roundtable. I've been to it every single year. And it's really cool because you have all these world, literally world-class cinematographers. Like these are the guys that shoot the A-list movies. And so that... And there's about 10 of them on stage. Um, it's not produced very well. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of produced really badly. They're usually just sitting on the edge of the stage and the lighting's really bad. But And they're passing a, one mic around. But um, <laughs> with, with all the gear that's all, like on the premises, that's all you get, right? It's just like one yeah. shared microphone. And it's wired nonetheless, probably. Right. And, yeah, it's just sad. And they sometimes have problems where they can't even get it to work. And um, and then they have like little little snippets, clips of, of films they're talking about, and sometimes they don't get those to work either. So, it's, <laughs> but still, That's great. yeah. But still having having all those amazing legends and and legends in training on stage is amazing. And then people can go up and ask uh, questions. They have like a queue of people at a at a mic um, to ask them questions. Like the main question is, what is you know. What's what do you like, digital or film? You know. <laughs> but oh yeah, they they love all those kind of questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, so so I always so I always try to go to the thing, and I think I got there a little bit too late because usually we're there like super early at this thing. We're like waiting. We get there half an hour early and just get our seats, and then people start filtering. It. Sure. This time we got there, I don't know, ten minutes early, fifteen minutes early, and there was a line. Oh my. And the, yeah, and the and the and the theater had just it was completely full. So the line was for the people that. That, that that couldn't take anymore and le- and would leave. Right. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there were, there just weren't that many people leaving. Like when you go there, you you realize it's a pretty special thing and you want to stay. Wow. So yeah. So Veronica and I waited um, a little bit and it just looked hopeless. So we just left. And but it was good. It was kind of good because we left and then we did interv- did one more great interview and or a couple interviews. So it worked out fine. It just was a little disappointing. So I'm just going to get there early next time. Yeah. I, I, I guess, I guess that's the, uh, the, the, the I mean, who, who would have thought that it, it's so packed up like that, but I, you know, especially if the production value is a little bit on the <laughs> lesser side, shall we say? Yes. So the lesson is if you want to go something that's free, be prepared to get there early and 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 get in there. Right. So that's the pretty much the lesson of life. That's a that's yeah. a really great lesson that we can all <laughs> adhere to. That's uh that's very very good. Good. Well, you know you know what, Keith. Thank you very much for uh, doing the the man on the street interviews like you do time and time again. We really appreciate it. The audience really appreciates it. I do too. Uh, so yep. thank you very much for for all the hard work and and putting it You're together. Welcome. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. Uh, Let's move uh, quickly. As we teased at the very beginning of the show, uh, we we did want to kind of update you guys on some new things that we have seen, some new things we have read about, uh, 
and some things that we actually have in our possession. Uh, and this is new uh, uh, pieces of gear that are out right now uh, and or said to be coming out very shortly. And I think Keith has the buzz on a couple of things. One thing that I actually was pretty interested in uh, for myself personally uh, was the announcement of the Sony a6600 uh, new camera offering from Sony. As we all know, they're spitting out these uh, 6000 series like they were mushrooms in a open field. Uh, you know, first they start out with the with the a6000 then what then they come out with the 6200 then the 6500 then they come out with the 64 now we have the 66 keith yes. um have you done much investigation on this one uh because i have not done that much on it i honestly heard the announcement i think i watched one youtube video about what it was what it was about what didn't excite me that much Although I think for some people it's extremely exciting what it can do because it's a it's that form factor it's the A six thousand kind of form factor where it's really small yep um, and it's a I guess it's an APS C sized sensor so it's not full frame but um, and it does good video it does good video it does only eight bit video but um, still good um, and it does four K video or UHD actually um, I don't know what the codec is i think it's probably still h.264 which is good and bad um it i think it's in my opinion the one claim to fame that it has is that it has a flip screen that actually can flip around and face you right if you want to do a selfie right and that previously had not been available on any of these 6000 series i think there was it was available on some of the other series maybe the rx series mm -hmm. but um this is becoming a really big thing doing selfie uh, selfie kind of blogging, uh, vlogging type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like, I think there's a huge market. Well, I think the camera makers are just trying to figure out what's the next market. How can we sell cameras? So, I mean, you know, some cameras which are ridiculous are still being used as, as vlogging cameras, like the the Canon 1DC or 1DX. Some people still use it as a vlogging camera. And, there's, and that has a fixed screen. It doesn't even flip around. Right. So they're just using it in a super wide mode and kind of hoping that it works or they have a little monitor flipped around back towards them. Ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But um, I think that probably the GH series is one of the best uh, vlogging cameras because it's always had that flippy screen that you can face towards you. I agree. I I, yeah. I, I, I agree, frankly, uh, with you on that. Uh, you know, of course, being a proud owner of the GH4, uh, you know, having the fully articulating screen, having it go anywhere you want, because, you know, when I look at the pictures of the 6600 and the, the way it flips up, the way it looks, I, I, I don't know how much of the real estate of the actual screen you get to see, but doesn't it look like it kind of cuts off like the bottom third of the of the screen when you flip it up and you're trying to do a selfie on yourself? It looks like it's going to cut off. It looks pretty lame. I, I, I don't. I honestly don't know if it's cut off or not. I, I assume that there's just information down there that you don't really need to see. Right. Um, and it, that part is getting cut off. But if it's actually cutting off part of the frame, that's pretty lame. <laughs> that's like, yeah. that's, a, that's a, a fail. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I'm hoping that they just, it's just covering just a, like the last bottom part of the bez bezel. Yeah. And then 
maybe a little bit of information you don't really need. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. So, because how could you frame it? I mean, you'd have to be guessing, and that's really non professional. I just, I just find it difficult because, you know, if the sun's in the wrong spot, you're not going to be able to see it. If you've got it too high up, maybe you might not be able to see it. That's why the, the GH series, I just love it because you can angle every part of that articulating screen. You know, it's just yeah. so much more helpful. Yeah. I don't know what's why Sony is so so against the fully articulating screen it i mean even canon started doing it yeah you know? right and and actually their their the canon uh, eos r um the kind of the new mirrorless camera they came out with actually i got one but i returned it right that's that's it's, the it, r right that's the r we're yeah. talking about yep yeah that's an awesome vlogging camera that's got the flippy screen like the like the gh series is mm-hmm. Uh, the Panasonic's and and it's also a really awesome camera. It's got a great codec and it's really you know it doesn't have in body stabilization like the the, the Sony's right. do, but right. and but it's got the autofocus and it's got um, some you know it's got some electronic stabilization that's actually supposedly quite good. I didn't really test that part out because I just don't like electronic stabilization, but mm-hmm. I might have to reconsider that because I think it's probably getting better. Yeah, these days some people love it so. Um, and in fact, some of the new Canon cinema offerings are, are, are doing that and, and kind of saying that this is almost as good as optical. So anyway, um, but you know, Sony fans that want to vlog, you know, this is made for them. Yeah. Cause some, some people love Sony. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, now that it's been out for so long, a lot of people have invested in glass and stuff like that. And, you know, I yes. mean, it is very attractive with the in-body stabilization and stuff like that. I, you know, that's one yeah. thing. And also the, the supposedly the really great, uh, ISO, uh, range that it has too. It's supposedly pretty, pretty wide. So yeah, it's I think usable. It's probably- I have no idea, but you know, yeah. I, th- I think it's probably a quality camera. I mean, all the A60, A6000s are awesome cameras, and, and they do a lot for that little size. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's definitely smaller than pretty much every other camera out there mm-hmm. and, and has a, as, as big a sensor as you could possibly get into that size. Um, not, not, don't know about its overheating thing, because that was the thing about the A6000 series. They just, all of them kind of overheat. Yeah. I think the 65 was okay. And maybe the 64, which is another model, maybe like a step down from the 65, but in some ways better. This one probably has that heating problem even more resolved than than previous versions. So anyway, so that's that's that. It's actually not out yet. It'll be out in November, supposedly. So we'll see. Uh, yeah. W- w- which is which is exciting. Uh, uh, but also sticking along with Sony. Uh, I believe they're also offering some new uh, uh, some new FS camera out there. <clears throat> That's right. I don't know if it's out yet, but um, there's a it was kind of a huge announcement. It was the Sony FS9. So this is a new um, new a new camera that's. That's that's a successor to you know the FS5, the FS7. Um, and the FS7 and the 7.2 are legendary. Um, uh, those, the, the FS7 kind of started, almost started it all with with a 4K, uh, really usable codec, etc. And um, and it's but it's it's been out for a while. I mean, the FS7 has been out for like five years, maybe. Yeah, right. It's a long time. Yeah. So um, and it, and it was great when it first came out. It was groundbreaking, you know, for that 
price, you know, the amount that you could get into it. And it's a pretty big camera, but not, you know, not, not gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, no bigger than the Blackmagic um, cameras, the Ursa minis. But um, anyway, so they, they finally came out and announced the FS, FX9, and it's a full-frame camera. And what does it have? It has some great... Um, it has some great features, like it has some really good um, new new type of f- uh, focusing technology for a video camera. Um, so one thing that was great about the A-series on the Sonys was that they had um, this kind of like a dual pixel or PDAF pixel pixel level focusing instead of contrast-based focusing. So they, they'd set aside some pixels or duplicated some pixels on the sensor to actually be dedicated to focusing. And then if they do that, they can... I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works uh, from a physics point of view, but they somehow compare adjacent pixels, and they are able to kind of triangulate focusing. So it's very, very accurate focusing, and, and probably pretty uh, fast too. I would imagine. Yeah, it's super fast. It's it's potentially faster than than anything, and it's it's very similar, in, I think, in technology to the Canon's legendary dual pixel autofocus, which has been around for like five years, and. Um, Anyway, they incorporated it into this FS9. So, um, and then they also made it full frame. And then they also have this um, thing they've introduced, which actually my FS5 has it, which is the variable ND, you know, fully variable. Like you can just slide it up and down. That's amazingly awesome. Which is really, really great. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this camera in, in some ways is kind of like a home run, I feel like. I feel like it's it's got everything that you might want. I think the only thing maybe it doesn't have is in-body stabilization. I don't think it necessarily has that. I have to check, um, but I think it's got electronic. But I don't think it has in-body. Yet. I'm I'm looking a, at it. and It doesn't seem to mention it anywhere. Yeah, uh, it, it might have electronic, but um, I don't think it has the actual sensor thing. And that's I don't know why they didn't do that. Maybe there's some reason from a pro point of view like if if you had that on you couldn't like keep the the sensor as stable as it needs to be for some uses Mm -hmm. um sometimes you just really need that sensor to not move around um and maybe when it's uh when it's a moving around to to adjust for stabilization it's just uh can't be locked in place Mm -hmm. um but anyway so that that's kind of um sad because you know then prime lenses you can't stabilize like you can on the on some of the Sony's, but um, other than that, I think it's just kind of a home run. I think it's not that expensive. I think it's like in the ten thousand dollar range. So kind of groundbreaking price and groundbreaking performance. I mean, it's it's amazing for for a larger camera. And is um, is this something you would consider for yourself? Um, to be honest with you, me personally, I probably would not get the Sony. Uh huh. Um, just cause I've had a bunch of Sony's and I like them somewhat, uh. but I'm not, I'm still not crazy about the, um, image, just the look of it. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I personally think it needs a lot of massaging to look good. And, um, I just feel like it has a, a little bit of that videoishness or not good colors on skin tones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's possible to get it out with enough technique but it's just not as natural looking in my opinion or not as cinematic maybe in a way and 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 not as quick to to make it you gotta go through a lot of post in order to get it the way you want 
I think so. I think maybe if I got one, I would probably invest the time to to make it work, and then it would be fine. I just that's just my impression because I've had Sony. You know, obviously, I've had a variety of Sony camcorders mm-hmm. over the years. I have an FS5. I haven't. I didn't get an FS7, um, but I've but I've been like a Sony fan for for years. I got the FS700. Got the FS5. That got all the A series like A7R2, A7R2, um, A7S2, and the A7R3. And you know, I'm obviously not adverse to buying Sony stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think for ten thousand dollars, I think I'd rather just step it up but a little bit more and get a, another camera that we're going to talk about in a second. Excellent. So excellent. Yeah. But but for for those that are are Sony fans and love the FS7 and have like a five year old FS7, I think it's like no brainer. Mm-hmm. I think it's just got everything they would might need. Great. Well, yeah. well, then let's move and talk in, uh, talk about that camera that you would invest the money in. And which one is that, Keith? So this ca- this camera is is kind of is in my opinion the camera that almost the camera that was my ideal camera, and it's the Canon um, C five hundred Mark II. And um, so the C five hundred, the original C five hundred was a pretty darn groundbreaking camera in its day i think it's pretty old yep it was six years old yep but even movies were made with that i mean like shane harold but actually made a couple of movies with with that camera and it was uh one of the first uh 4k cameras that could output raw you know right out of the right out of the bot about right out of the um sdi outputs and it had you know good good um look and just a really good look and feel. And so, I mean, you could probably get one now for like $3,000 and it's probably still an awesome camera. But um, anyway, they just announced it and it looks pretty darn great. Um, It looks like the only, okay, so again, this is one of those things where they could have just added one more thing and it would have been awesome, but (laughs) they're not really capable of doing it. uh, but in almost every other regard, they, they pretty much nailed it. So it's a full frame camera. So that's awesome. Um, it's, it's at, not only is it full frame, but it's also up to 5.9 K. Whoa. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty high res. And that the thing about, you know, when you say 4k or 6k or, or 2k or whatever, you don't really get that resolution out of, even though the sensor has that many pixels on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, once you actually do the, do the math and, and it gets down to the size of projecting it or whatever, it never is really that resolution. It's never that high. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to really get a, a true 4k image, like if you wanted to see every single pixel on your 4k TV, you'd actually have to shoot in 6k and, and then it would actually come out 4k. <laughs> and so that's what people are. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, so that's what people are kind of aiming towards now. They're starting to produce 6K cameras to produce good 4K. Wow. And that's what, yeah. So that's what that's what this one does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has full frame. Um, it also has Super 35 mm-hmm. and 16, uh, if you wanted it, uh, modes. Yep. And, um, you know, full frame is kind of like the holy grail. It's it's what everybody's looking for. And, and I don't know if it really is that great of a thing necessarily but it's nice to have it if you need mm-hmm. it um you know it would be it's awesome to be able to put a full frame lens on a full frame camera and get that super wide and as well as light sensitive um image yep especially canon products too yes yes all the kind of canon eos 
Uh, and I think you can also change the mount if you want as well. I'm not sure how easy it is to change it, but mm -hmm. I know it's um, changeable. I'm just looking up right now the, yeah. There, there actually is a optional mount kit, which you can actually swap. So users can actually swap them. So that part is awesome. So PL, PL again, is the, the more professional level mount that a lot of super high-end glasses are uh, made with. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's cap full frame capable. Most of the time it's not, but, um, so now you can, now you can rent a super high end PL lens if you want to, um, or you could buy either and then just swap them as needed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how easy it is to swap, but, um, so, and of course, you know, in general, you have this amazing autofocus with Canon. Mm -hmm. You've got, you've got, uh, you know, the, the, dual pixel autofocus which is just saves my butt all the time and I love using it with my C200s and um and it's you know and it's easy to use you can touch touch where you want or you can just have it track somebody and it's just so it's so effortless you know it's not perfect but it's pretty darn perfect um and yeah and it seems kind of like a form factor like the almost like the uh the old c uh 500 it's pretty much the same size it's probably a touch know, bigger it, but i mean you know but maybe, it still looks the same yeah. to me it it looks pretty close yeah. i mean they're all kind of similar sizes and shaped yeah shapes i think it's kind of like a c300 mark ii mm -hmm. i don't know if it's maybe slightly bigger and heavier but um anyway so this is very very intriguing camera to me because it's it's kind of got it check it checks all the boxes. Yeah. It checks all the boxes and it just the only box it does not check is the um stable the um optic well not optical but physical stabilization mm -hmm. of the sensor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um it has supposedly a really good electronic stabilization and we'll see. We'll see if it does or mm -hmm. not. But um yeah, it, again, it is kind of expensive. It's like 16k. Yep. So Yep, 16k and not available until the end of this year. So, yeah. uh, so they're furiously super gluing them all together right now and, uh, <laughs> uh, trying to, uh, push them out, but 16 K that's, uh, but, but it's something that you might consider for this, uh, quality of a camera looks as if you might have to get your own viewfinder on it. Um, yeah, it doesn't have a viewfinder and that's maybe a slight minus, but in, 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 for this type of level camera, you just you would you would have your own viewfinder anyway. Right. So you could either put a loop on the one they have, but then you kind of give up that touch screen thing. Right. Um, or you can just add a really good viewfinder. And there's actually more and more affordable viewfinders on the market. Although you know I've got a, like a two thousand dollar viewfinder, so I could just slap that on yeah. if I need to. Yeah. So you'll consider it. You'll consider it at the end of the year. Hmm. Probably, yeah, I don't think I'm going to get this year. I might consider it next year or maybe just renting it next year for projects. Uh, yeah, so. give it a test drive if you can. That might yeah. be good. Yeah, see if so something I'm really excited. Good. Yeah, I'm really excited that Canon is starting to push the envelope a little bit. Yeah. You know, I was feeling like they were being kind of dragging their feet on things. And so, and I feel like this camera kind of, in my opinion, it cannibalizes their, their C700. Yeah. Uh, because I don't see too much better about the C700 than this. And that's a much more expensive camera. So I think they're just going, eh, C700 was kind of a kind of a dud. Let's just sell some cameras. Right. And that's actually pretty cool. Right. So, no, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's the Canon EOS uh, C500 Mark II, probably yep. coming out at the end of the year. 16 grand. Keith is going to be on the lookout for it. 
And we yep. know you guys out in Tech Move Land will be looking out for it too. Uh, let's move yes. to another camera uh, right now that uh, I think not only are you interested in, but you might have actually shaken the tree for one. And that's the Blackmagic Pocket 6K camera that's just out. Yes. Yes. I actually ordered that a couple of weeks ago. I had it on, on uh, B&H, the list. I'm on the list to get notified. And as soon as it, as soon as I was notified, I just ordered it. Because, you know, Blackmagic is starting to actually ship cameras when they announce them, which is amazing. So they had a, they had a certain amount of cameras when they first announced it, and those went pretty quick, and so then they were back order. But then their next wave of cameras seemed to hit pretty quick. So I just got the notification, just put it in the cart and ordered it, like, within minutes. I was actually in Maui at the time, so it wasn't that easy. Yeah. Um, but I, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, so, and, uh, um, so, yeah. so, uh, I'm on B and H right now. They seem to say that's in stock right now. Oh, okay. Good. So if you're listening to this, you can check. Um, that's, they seem to have a pretty good supply of this, which is actually awesome. And so, yeah, so I got it, you know, right away within, by the time I got back, it was, it was here. Excellent. And yeah. And I've tried it like three or four times. Um, you know, I've only had it about a week, so. Uh, I've gone out with it. I'm, you know, it's okay. So here's the thing about the 6K. It's an EF mount. Okay. So the previous ones are micro four thirds mounts. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of the difference. And then the fact that it's, instead of being 4K resolution sensor, it's a 6K resolution sensor. Which is kind of like what we were talking about. So like you shoot it in 6K so you can downsize to 4K. Yes. Yes. Or you, you have this more options to crop if you want to as well. It's just a little bit better resolution. So, um, and then. Um, but if that's the only thing that it does, then maybe it's not that great of a thing. Like, my my impression is is that the image quality is really really close to the to the 4K, mm-hmm. but it's just a little bit better. It's probably like 10 to 20 percent better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a touch more detail, um, and then I think that the um, the light uh, the highlight. Um, curve or the way that it um, can capture highlights is a little bit more forgiving so you can expose it overexpose it a little bit more and it's more got that that re or or film Mm -hmm. roll off Mm -hmm. Um, whereas i think the previous one is more like a hard kind of like clipping so um so i've taken it a couple times i like it um it's slightly bigger because the the protrusion where the lens goes in where the lens mounts it sticks out about three quarters of an inch more okay. than the previous camera. The other camera is just flat on the body. Right. Um, the, the, the new one, the six K, it kind of sticks out about three quarters of an inch. Cause, and that's, that kind of makes sense. Cause micro furthers, it's a much shorter flange distance than a EF mount. So a lot of people are complaining about the EF mount. A lot of people say they should have chosen some other more versatile mount, but I also understand, um, black magic because they had to choose a mount. So what are they going to choose? You know, they're they're not going to choose some weirdo mount that nobody has. <laughs> so, I, 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 are you surprised that they didn't just stick with the micro four thirds? I'm I'm not surprised because there isn't really a, a convenient way to adapt full frame or or EF lenses to micro four thirds. Mm-hmm. I think Panasonic kind of had one kind of weird like full frame micro four thirds mount, but it I don't even know if it works very well. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to rely you'd either have to come out with your own and devise some type of adapter mm-hmm. um, or you'd have to rely on somebody else producing this adapter for your camera. And then when you, so when you rely on somebody else to produce it, then you're kind of tied to that company 
and then you lose a lot of control because what if they produce lousy stuff or they don't they go out of business or they just decide to stop making it then you have to start making it so i could see the business decisions like so so for example a lot of people thought that they they should have produced an r an eos r mount mm-hmm. for it which is the mirrorless mount and that might have been good but then you'd have to spend another $200 at least to get an adapter right for your for your but in general that I kind of would have liked if they'd done that because I think that's a more versatile amount and you could put a neutral, an ND variable ND in there Mm -hmm. and other stuff like that. But, you know, they just chose, I think they just chose what was the simplest mount for them to get the most bang for the buck. Like everybody has EF lenses. I got it. I have a ton of EF lenses. Like every single lens I have is EF. Right. I probably have like 60, 65% EF lenses and, and then the rest are the other two, the E mounts and the, and the. And micro four thirds mount. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, I think they made a good choice. I think they made an economic choice there. Maybe not technically the best choice, but the best economic choice. Um, so, you know, I haven't like gone through all the images, like fine, you know, with a, with a pixel peeping eye, yep. but, but I, I like it. I actually like it a lot. And I think, I mean, I buy these things with a chance I'm going to return them. Yep. And, and I think I'm probably going to keep it. Great. I think it's good. Will it, will, will, good will it work with the 4K camera? Will it work nicely as a AB type of combo? Yeah, I think it'll work along with that. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking I'm going to be using it more as a adjunct to my C200s because I've noticed that the Blackmagic color science is really close to the Canon. Like it looks the same mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or, or when you use the right LUTs and a little bit of adjustment, mm-hmm. it's pretty indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for these really wide kind of Vista shots, the 6K, you know, it's this $2,500 6K camera that you can put in your yeah, big pocket. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. you know, like the other day I was taking a hike on the mountain that I live on and I just had it in my little stupid DSLR camera bag, yeah. you know, it's so small. and I was whooping it yep. out and, and producing 6K movies, yep. you know, with super dynamic range and raw yep. with a stupid little pocket 6K camera. Yep. Incredible. You know, with my high-end ef lenses yeah. you know incredible though it's it's just like how could you even dream that this is happening yeah. you know this is just like it's a dream Fa- fabulous so fabulous anyway, so so it's pretty cool and i'll i think the next episode will give a little bit more feedback on on this and then the other thing we're going to talk about in a second if we have time yeah and we definitely do because i definitely want okay. to uh talk about but real quickly that's the black magic Design pocket cinema camera 6k it's available now in a canon ef uh, mount for about twenty five hundred bucks, seems to be the uh, uh, going rate uh, right now. So the the new offering from Blackmagic Design. Uh, what we do want to touch on is something a little bit more uh, relates to just anybody, not only listening to this podcast, but you know even your next door neighbor. And that's the brand new announcement from Apple and the new iPhones that just came out. Uh, especially uh, the iPhone 11 and the various flavors within that series. Keith, would you like to take it from here? Yes, I will talk about the iPhone 11 Pro because that's the one that I ordered. Uh, Obviously. (laughs) And I will be getting it hopefully in a week, maybe. It hasn't shipped yet. Yeah, it hasn't got, shipped yet, right? I, I I don't think they were quite ready for it, but uh, they they would have been in the, uh, like about a week or two after after announcing. Yeah, I think I think it says that I'm going to get it early October. Great, or very late October to early. I mean, very late September to early October. So maybe by the next episode, most 
most probably like 99% probable that by episode 50, right. which will be a momentous occasion if we can ever get it out. But that's, uh, yeah, I will have, that's great. Yeah, I will have had the iPhone 11 pro for a year <laughs> and be able to give you that's right. a good review. <laughs> ah, very good. Very good. Yes. <laughs> but, but anyway, but I'll talk about what I think it's going to do now. Um, so the main thing about the iPhone 11 pro is that it's got three cameras on yep. it, which is crazy. Yep. It's cray cray. Yep. Three cameras. Yeah, incredible. It looks it looks kind of like a mutant yeah, mutant camera. It does. And and um, and those three, you know, they're different focal length lenses, and they're all pretty fast lenses, which is cool. So you know, more telephoto with faster a faster sensor, faster lens, and then more wide, and then a medium, or kind of a wide medium. So, and then just the the capabilities and technology of this thing. I saw a demo. I think it was for the keynote or whatever for this particular announcement where they actually had all four cameras you know the front facing camera yep. the one for selfies yep. and the three lenses all filming at once oh wow so you could have like a, th- a four up screen and i don't know if you can record uh you can i don't know if you can record all four streams or not but but I saw this demo and that was actually pretty cool. I don't know if I'd actually ever use it, but I, I personally think it's pretty cool because I I kind of like doing that. I like having, you know, a, a, like a like a medium and a close up and a wide on the same scene. Right. You know, it gives me a lot of choice. Oh, I, 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 it's like cropping, right? Without cropping. Yeah. 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 And I don't know what the resolution is on it. I, I think it's probably out there what it actually does. But it's probably decent. It's, it's probably decent. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's this amazing image stabilization. I think it's electronic, but they're using some kind of amazing you know, processing smarts to make it super stabilized. Mm-hmm. Like they had these shots. They looked like, I don't know, like, uh, like those, those crane shots from, you know, fast and the furious where they were going over the car oh, and right. down and, right. and they were, and they were all shot in iPhone handheld. Oh, nice. Some guy was like, 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 you know, hanging out of a window of a crane or something and holding this. Wow. Thing. Nice. So, so, um, I'm actually pretty excited. And I think to me, this phone is like the beginning of the end for video cameras, yeah, for camcorders, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think there's something to be said. I mean, like it, it, it really destroyed uh, the point and shoot pocket camera, right? It yeah. destroyed yeah. that. No, uh-huh. nobody's making those hardly anymore. No, uh, and if they are, you're pretty much finding them at the local like pharmacy store, you know, uh, on on the electronics aisle or something. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, g- give me a, give me a few specs. Uh, I, I don't know what capacity is for for the new uh, iPhone 11s. I think it's the same as the previous one. So I got the 512 gigabyte version, right. which is the most you can get, right? Because it's just, oh, and it, and it's going to suck up so much of that because of all the you know all, all, all the pictures one will take and video. Yeah, um, other specs. Um, honestly, I, I'd have to actually look it up on a on a, some kind of spec sheet. Okay. Well, but, um, you know, it's better. Yeah. It's better than the 10. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 absolutely. And, and I thought, and I still think the 10 is still great. I'd still, I, yeah. I still love my 10, but I think the 11 will be, it, it, I think it's a little bit larger screen too. I believe. I don't know. I, d- I hope it's not too much larger, but I got a case for it yeah. the other day and it didn't seem that much bigger than the 10. Okay. So, All right. yeah. So I think it's okay. I think it's five point six or 5.9 or something like that. Anyway, 
I th- it didn't seem like it was different, too much different. But it's it's a different form, a slightly different form because the camera bay is bigger. Right. But but um, overall, I think, and there's a there's a larger version uh, as well if you want to go big. Mm-hmm. You know, have like a tablet type phone. But um, what, yeah, what but was overall, it like a Pro Plus or something like that or? Um, what is it called? Um, what is it called? It's called the. Let me look. Pro. Let me look. Pro something. Let me look. Let me see if I can pull up anything here. Max? No. Pro. Yeah, Max. Max. Oh, yeah, there's a Max. Yeah, there is a Max. Yeah. And you didn't get that one, huh? No, I I found that the... I mean, I I had that big version of of phone a while back. Right, the the, the six like I had, right? Yeah, I think all the way up to the nine. Yeah. I had the big version. I think that's because the only... That one had better specs, you know? But this, but I think the Max doesn't really have better specs other than the bigger screen. Yeah. So, and there's so I'd, the inconvenience of having this gigantic phone in your pocket all the time, and 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 also now that they have this edge-to-edge type uh, display, it, you're not really it's not really that much smaller than the gigantic ones of the past. Right. So, um, so I just choose this slightly smaller one. Yeah. And um, yeah. So other specs, you know, three cameras. I told you about the thing. It's got a pro uh, display. Oh, the this display is super bright. At the 1200 nits, which is really bright. That's pretty great for, yeah. for for a phone. Yeah, so you could you could put this on your on your DJI drone and and you know be able to see it in the really well in daylight or just look at use it outside. And I guess the battery life is always getting better. So I think they just make the CPU and GPU more efficient and then the battery technology better. So it's supposedly 20% faster and has more capacity i i'm interested to hear though the uh audio on it because they're they're talking about how it has this kind of uh almost dispersive audio uh, oh yeah on yeah it. so yeah that, that'll it's got be, zoom, kind of a zoom audio yes, technology yes uh-huh. that'll be very interesting and then of course they're yeah. they're hyping up this night mode that it has and i think that some of that technology is available on a new ios um uh, update right now, so maybe okay. we can apply that night mode uh, onto our existing cameras now. Yeah, it's probably there's probably some application. Another thing is I think the HDR the, now there's HDR and video, and it's better. Nice. So it does apparently it does like a dual frame rate, you know, like 120 frames, and then takes takes a one exposure and then another exposure, similar to how the Reds do that, mm-hmm. there, and get that all that. So now you're starting to get dynamic range that even exceeds most camcorders yeah. with this thing. Wow. So it's just awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Well, we can't yeah. wait for the full review once uh, when, when, when you get it, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in our, uh, you know, maybe our, uh, you know, uh, 50th, 50th probably in anniversary. The 50th, probably in the 50th. That will be incredible when that, when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I better take a nap before we uh, actually record that. So that that would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Well, yeah. well, great. Hey, uh, congratulations on uh, getting the uh, iPhone 11 Pro. Uh, we're yep. we're definitely excited to to hear all about it. Um, mm-hmm. Keith, we're going to wrap it up right now. We're going to wrap it up yep. with uh, episode 49. I want to thank mm-hmm. you uh, for again the hard work at Cinegear. Uh, I want to thank me for uh, doing all the intros and outros of uh, all the different segments. And most of all, we want to thank our listening audience who's always so dedicated, always so kind to be patient with our uh, lack of regular schedule of putting out an episode. So, Mm -hmm. folks, we want to thank you so much for being loyal listeners and still supporting us 
uh, with the podcast. Uh, we always want to remind you to go to our website, which is techmovepodcast.com for any latest uh, news that we might have for the podcast. Uh, we also want to encourage you to uh, help support us. Uh, Keith, you know all that good stuff. I, I always forget it. So you, you tell all the folks. Uh, uh, so you can support us at patreon.com slash techmovepodcast. And we are actually getting payments through that now. We were troubleshooting for a while and we got that fixed so yeah please uh resume your payments to us we appreciate it it, <laughs> it, 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 it keeps the lights on for us thank you very much it, keep, it keeps the lights on so so we thank you very much uh so again keith thank you so much for for this yep. uh ladies and gentlemen you, uh you've been listening to tech move i have been rod louie and with me is the great keith moreau we'll see you for our anniversary special episode 50 which is coming up well we can't tell you when but it's coming up so ladies <laughs> gentlemen stick around for that we thank you so much thanks for listening this has been tech